to the mortal realms and Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the black pit this episode are. My name is Paul. Uh, and did you hear that Selenor and the not true moon of Hish were totally falling in love over a pig? I call it moons over my hammy. <laughs> it's Faven. Uh, when there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Uh, the Luminous Realm Lords, because they're good at fighting ghosts. <laughs> uh, and I'm Aaron, and move over, Godzilla. Watch out, King Kong, because the real clash of the titans that people want is Nogash versus Teclas. Uh, in this episode, we cover the lore of the Broken Realms Teclas. Does anybody else feel like the Necroquake has been going on forever? Tekla sure does, and he's got half a mind to go and do something about it. With the power of the mountains under his feet, the wind at his back, let's find out what he's planning. And just as, uh, as an aside, uh, for future listeners, uh, when this episode comes out, Godzilla vs. King Kong uh, just released, and it's, I mean, it's a big cultural uh, big cultural touchstone. Everybody's talking about it. It's actually a really big deal. How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, fantastic. Ooh, you had to think about it. We'll 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 unpack that later. Paven, how are you? I am really great. Really excited about this book. These Broken Realms quickly becoming my favorite Warhammer uh, series, and so totally pumped to join this episode. And obviously, years and years from now, people are still going to be talking about King Kong versus Godzilla. So I really don't think you needed to make that up. <laughs> make that clarification. Just to be safe, I wanted to make sure. Uh, that this is, I mean, this episode is a time capsule for 2021 and the things that are important to the people that are living through it right now. COVID, yeah. what? Forgot all about it. King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah. So when the aliens discover like the last iPod uh, in the ruins of our civilization and they're, re- <laughs> they're listening to the mortal realms as a treasured cultural artifact, um, they're really going to be wondering who Godzilla and King Kong are. Um, <laughs> thankfully, we have informed them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're doing what we can for the human civilization. Um, oh, that was a wonderful story. I feel like you should just tell stories instead of tell jokes, and that'd be amazing, Paven. I would listen to it all day long. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, once this, once we put the lid on this episode, you can pry it back open and enjoy it whenever you want. Um, <laughs> you, you guys... What have you been up to? What, what, what has been occupying your time in the hobby sphere? Uh, I want to hear about it. Uh, let's, start, let's start with Paul for no reason. I got super lucky, and thank you, GW. I have been uh, uh, endowed with a copy of Curse City. So I managed to get that and paint up four of the characters and then paint up all the minions that you need for the level zero encounters and just having a blast getting all that stuff together. It's been a great time. Right on, right on, and I can't wait to play it with you a one day. I know. Right? Uh, Paven, what have you, you been doing? Um, so I recently pre-ordered my copy of Curse City full price. Uh, <laughs> you know, as being the you know the uh, the scrub I am. I mean, you uh, and me both. Wait. Yeah, yeah, super excited to bust it open. Uh, did get to play online with Paul's copy of his painted miniatures in the Mortal Realms Discord. Shout out to the Discord. Uh, as far as my hobby goes, I've been finishing the uh, Warcry Catacombs box set. So I have I find I finished painting up all the terrain uh, a couple days ago. I've been at kit bashing the second squad of Scions of the Flame uh, to supplement my original squad. 
Um, so I'm counting both of those projects done for now so I can move on to Curse City. So very excited. Awesome. I'm excited as well. I too uh, pre-ordered uh, a Curse City, but while I wait for that, I've just been putting together a lot of Slanesh stuff. I can't remember where I was at last time we talked, but I just finished just the unit of 10 uh, demonettes that I had to put together out of the wrath and rapture box and then now i'm putting the endless spells together and i'm stuck i'm literally staring at the like the bladed wheel thing uh spell just dreading having to like file that oh god i I might just do one wheel put it down do a completely different army for maybe a month and then come back to the next wheel uh before i have to file those things down that's gonna that's gonna drive me nuts but the wheel on the file just keeps turning is that what i'm hearing uh you don't know what you'll do tomorrow. You owe me a dollar. Guys, I do owe you a dollar. I will gladly pay. I am happy to pay. Um, and that is what I've been working on. But honestly, I'll, I, I, I will drop everything and work on Curse City when, I, when it gets here, I'm sure. Uh, which is exciting. Um, if you guys got nothing else you want to talk about, we could probably give the people what they want, which is either A, more jokes, or B, the story phase. What if we did Paul, both? Imagine if we did both. The, the power would be overwhelming. No one would be able to handle it. Uh, Paul, if you'd be so kind as to take us to the story phase. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. And now we're here. We weren't before, but we are now. Um, guys, let's start. Maybe we, we cast a quick eye looking backwards. Just a smidge, just a hair. I don't want to take too much time on it, but maybe we catch folks up as to where we're at right now this is the second broken realms book uh do you think there's anything worth mentioning that informs the events that occur in in this book i have a thought but i'll put it to you guys first i think they they seem to not have almost any overlap that's what i was gonna say yeah they could be happening simultaneously as far as i mean i don't think this one finishes before the first the the first one finishes because like there would have to be remarks on the events, but uh, but maybe not. The Moral Realm is a very big place, notoriously big. Uh, nigh on infinite. In fa- but to, to that point, like the I, you like you said, you would think someone would comment on the fact that, oh, crap. Like we, we just, I don't want to spoil anything, but like uh, the balance of God seems to have just like, whoop, just e- equaled out again um, with a brand new one being created. You'd think Teclas of all people would have an opinion on on that on that matter. But so maybe, maybe the other Broken Realms, First Broken Realms Marathi book doesn't inform this one too much, but it's worth uh, reminding folks that we are in the mists, I guess, still uh, of the Necroquake or like the Arcanum Optimar, I guess is the term for sort of this this time period that we still find ourselves in. And it's because of that, I think, is maybe the impetus of the, the story events here. So less Marathi stuff and more... Uh, Nagash stuff if you weren't yeah. getting tired of that at this point. I got a hot take for you. Ooh, so hot. Make it spicy. Uh, not only is this simultaneously, I believe, with Broken Realms Marathi, but I believe it is almost also simultaneously with the name of the book I can't remember right now, where they went into the eight points and Wrath of the Ever Chosen. It's also simultaneous with Wrath of the Ever Chosen. Because there is a statement in the book that makes me feel like, yep, this is a thing that's happening right now. So I would argue that even Wrath of the Ever Chosen is continual simul is what's going on right now. I, I think that's a good take. I think you could easily make the argument that all of those campaign books are happening at the same time. 
I can't refute it. I don't have any reason to say that that's not true. So yeah, quite possibly. And it, it lends some uh, explanation as to why certain people aren't in certain places, I suppose. And like, I, I know the, the, the reference you're talking about in this one. So yeah, you know what? Maybe. So for our listeners, if you don't mind, Aaron, I want Please. to like, uh, let's, let's set the table. So uh, in the beginning, there was the old world. <laughs> farther, farther back, actually. Go back farther. <laughs> this bedtime story is going to be too long. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could stay up that long. Um, no. Okay. So what's, what's all happening? What has happened recently? So at the end of Age of Sigmar 1, Nagash completed his great work, which was the Black Pyramid at the center of Sayesh. That kicked off this new age. Maybe age isn't the right word, but the new era of, of Warhammer Age of Sigmar where death is ascendant, um, ghosts are everywhere, the, the, the entire of Shayesh is getting sucked into a black hole in the middle, and then possibly all of the mortal realms. Um, magic is running wild. This is the Arcanum Optimar. The Necrocake has roiled, and I guess continues to roil, uh, the mortal realms, which is like unleash death energies everywhere, uh, you know, making ghosts. But also messed up all the magic everywhere. Like everything doesn't make sense right now. Yeah, all the ley lines are all crisscrossed with the the you know the professional lines, um, and uh, Catacross is invading the eight points. Uh, you know, uh, and Archon is like defending the eight points from death. Death is in the ascension. Is kind of, I think a reasonable level set for like where the, the, this book takes place and like what Teclas, who I think is our protagonist here is trying to do. It's, I guess worth mentioning that given that the Luminate, there are relatively recent development. Uh, they have been uninvolved in, in essentially most of those uh, events that you just described. Um, yes. But you could maybe argue that the Necroquaker, the kind of Optimar, has have gone on long enough such that they need to act and sort of make their presence more wildly known in the realms. And I think that is generally what, what's kicking off our, our story here, um, which I think is now getting into this book. I agree 100 percent, Aaron. I think even in the, the first Lumineth book, it mentions that the events of the Necroquake are what kind of kick Teclas in the butt to like get the Lumineth out of Haish. And like start, you know, because because the logic is they can't just hole up in Hayash and like live in their paradise. The the events outside of their one realm can impact their realm. And that's what they've learned the hard way. Yeah. Right. So because they, they want to be isolationist, but they've like just to reiterate what you just said, that like that just doesn't work. The realms are so intertwined that they have to. Uh, not to not to police the other realms, but uh, maybe that's what they end up doing a little bit. Um, but they're uh, if they want to protect protect their shores, they need to go out and be proactive in their defenses. The best defense is a good offense, so to speak. Is that catches us up to the book? Unless Paul, you have any other missing puzzle pieces? No, I, that was that was great. Um, it was great. Like, Thank you. At this point, I think we legit are like, oh my goodness. There are so many spoilers ahead, right? Like Broken Realms Marathi was like, okay, some stuff is kind of happening. Broken Realms Teclas, oh my goodness, if you didn't read this already, like you're going to be in for some serious, serious questioning. I mean, I'm, I'll maybe talk about this later, but do you think more happened in this book than in Marathi? I don't, oh. I don't think so. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll debate this later. Um, Either way, buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How'd you know my name was? My nickname was Buttercup. All right, so let's um, <laughs> let's start it. Let's start at the beginning of the book. Uh, we're talking about all these other events, but I think one event maybe kicks off this this story, at least as it exists in uh, Broken Realms Techless. It, it's a ghost. It's a ghost attack. Yeah, I would love to talk about the the blow by blow for our opening scene of. Well, there's a couple other opening scenes, but this is the big one. This is yeah. the, the first. The first. Uh, uh, kind of uh, event. Uh, so we open on Settler's Gain, which is a city in Hish, a city of Sigmar. So it's like a primarily human city. It's got a large elven population, but still humans outnumber elves like uh, nine to one. It's in the middle, so in the in the lands that tr- elves traditionally don't inhabit. And it's a beautiful city. It's a city of learning. It's a city of, of power. And the ghosts come in. So this is a traditional Nighthawn attack. They have, like, disrupted the sigils that guard the city, that ward the city against magical attack, and they just start swarming in. And as most Nighthawn attacks, they are just overrunning the city's defenders. Um, there's pockets of resistance. The free guild of the city are well-drilled. They talk about how they try to fight like elves. They try to fight like the Lumineth and, like, these ordered ranks. They hold part of the city. It's lose. It's looking grim. Um, the College Arcani, uh, Collegiate Arcane of the city, so that's the human wizarding schools, um, which have a big presence in that city. They are using all of their anti-ghost technology and, uh, like, throwing their fireballs and fighting off the guys. They're, they're, they're having a pocket, they're having pockets of resistance as well. Uh, the Lumineth ride down from the high quarters, like the, like the upper, upper class (laughs) parts of the city. They, like, ride out their silver helms, their wizards. They're trying to push the ghost back. However, it seems like a losing battle because there's just too many of them and they're too overwhelming. Um, and it's looking really bleak for the defenders. They're defending bravely. They're defending with skill and art and magic and blade. Um, however, it really doesn't seem like there's enough. And then, wham, uh, the mo- uh, the <laughs> Selenar appears, uh, who is also a moon, um, He's, you know, using magic, dispersing the um, the ghosts, giving giving uh, courage to the defenders. But you know where Selenar appears, Teclas is going to show up, and so he 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 comes out, literally got out of the machine, you know, comes in, zaps all the uh, zaps the night hot. He does this awesome move where he's up in the sky and like uh, like skeletal ghostly riders are riding out after him to kill him. And then it says he he like searches in his mind palace for specific death magic knowledge. And he like, you know, he, he says the, the words of power and he turns them alive again um, <laughs> while they are flying after him. So he like resurrects the undead to perfect living humans and then they immediately come crashing, falling to earth with their horses, <laughs> their, their, gross, their gross, fleshy bodies. Um, and that, you know, that's just a classic techless flex. Like there's a, a thousand ways he could have killed them, but he chose to kill them in a way that showed his power and his knowledge over death itself. This isn't a particularly funny book, but that was maybe the funniest part. I oh think. yeah, no, like, yeah, it was amazing. It's just like, wait, you can literally resurrect people. So like, you steal them from Nagash, you make them into real people, not even like using lightning or whatever, and then you're just like, ah, I'm gonna watch you fall through the sky and get pulped. This is amazing. So both the power of Teclas and his presence 
rallies the defenders, and they are able to push back this night hold, night, excuse me, night haunt advance and save their city. Yeah. So do we think this takes place in the early, and it maybe explicitly says, does this take place in the early days of the Necroquake? Is this like looking back historically uh, a little bit? So it takes place after Glim's Forge uh, because the okay. Nighthawks have learned from that loss. So it's at least somewhat after that. Um, you know, time is a little uh, wishy-washy. It's not like the opening salvo of the Soul Wars. It's sometime in that, sometime between the beginning and the end. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely not before the beginning and absolutely not after the end. I agree completely. Aaron, thank goodness you're cutting me out of this entire episode. (laughs) (laughs) What would that even look like? Um, other things I point out uh, about um, Settlers Gain is that it's like you said it's in the center. It's actually in the is in the nation state of Zintel, and so given that that's in or towards the center of the realm, it's obviously the you know calmest or more easily survived by just regular folks, and so that makes sense. That's why our our human city is here. Um, it's also the setting of one of the Broken Realms short stories that was pretty it generated a lot of feedback. I think when it came out, uh, at least in the Moral Realms Discord, that was pretty cool. You also check it out. I'm sure it has a name. Can't remember what it is. Um, um, it is called Enlightenment. Enlightenment. Well, and I obviously am not particularly enlightened. Can I take a moment here? Yeah, please do. So, no, that- your definition of a moment and my definition of a moment are completely different things. <laughs> All right, so um, Archibald is actually one of the uh, characters here. Archibald Luzerne is the senior member of the Collegiate Arcane in Hish and leader of the Zentil War Magi, right? So this is a spoiler. If you haven't read the Broken Realms short story, Enlightenment, go read the Broken Realms short story, Enlightenment. But in that story, which takes place before this event, Archibald gets, like, captured by the Lumineth and brainwashed. First, he's like, oh, man, we really can't trust these Lumineth. Like, they're just doing weird things, and we're going to make fun of them when we think that they can't listen because we know what's going on. And then halfway through the story, he just goes away and then comes back and is like, man, these Lumineth are great guys. They're, like, super awesome. And, like, oh, my goodness, have you listened to them? Because they're amazing. And the main character in the story is like, what What happened to Archibald? Like, this is super weird. Like, you were totally against the Lumineth, but like, I'm going to learn from them. And now you're like totally on their side. And the last thing that happens in the story is the guy who's the main character is like, oh, I disappeared. But hey, you know what? Those Lumineth, those guys are awesome. Like, this is super pretty cool. So we have the main protagonist of this story, mind wiping humans. Which, to me, seems like a pretty evil thing to do. And uh, the main character for the Champions of Order being mind-wiped, super creepy and a little weird. I hate to say it, but he's, but he's right. Um, maybe, we're not, maybe not about the evil thing. Maybe it's for the greater good, man. Maybe it's a small price to pay. But uh, beyond all that, um, is he the dude that is leading the box set of the um, yes. the war machines? Or the, you know, the... Zintil War Magi. Yep. God, that's cool. Um, so there is a little thing at the end here where the guy who was leading the assault and failed, like, goes groveling back to Nagash and is like, 
dude, I totally failed. And the gash is like, I hate you because you failed. But they mentioned that the Mortarks each have a shade glass mirror. And so there are five shade glass mirrors for the five Mortarks. We got Olander, Catacros, Manfred, uh, Neferata, and Archon. But two of them are empty, right? This is where I go with the, it is concurrent with the previous book. Because Olander and Catacros were super prevalent in that story. And it would make sense that they would not be here to listen to the story. And then we get Archon, Neferata, and Manfred moving on and getting their story told in this book. So yeah. that's why I would say it's concurrent. Okay. And then that, that does, I guess, answer what I felt was, I don't want to say a plot hole, but a, a character hole that Catacros and Olander wasn't feeling. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, any other thoughts about this, this here opening story? I mean, we get a new Cities of Sigmar in Hish. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. I like that. You guys remember back in the day when we had no information about Hish whatsoever? I feel like we're learning so much about it. It was uh, all Hish, Hish, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. You guys can't see, but I'm making a Hish uh, gesture. All right. Neat. Um, but so because of this attack, uh, I think well, the reason I was wondering if it was towards the beginning, this particular story was towards the beginning of uh, the Necroquake timeline is because it was – Sort of the impetus, one of the impetuses for to Teclis for him to sort of realize, all right, well, now this is starting to affect me and mine. Um, I need to do something about this. We need to, you know, like what we were talking about before. I need, I need to sally forth out into the realms and 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 right some wrongs uh, in Nagash's butt. Uh, so because of that, he devises a plan, I guess, or uh, determines that he is going to bring the fight to Nagash. So to do so, they take advantage of a realm gate from Hish uh, to Shyish and bring his, you know, his, his Teclian vanguard uh, to start romping through uh, Shyish and uh, make his, I was going to say make his presence known, but I guess that's the exact opposite of what he's doing to do. They're going to sneak in, uh, essentially, um, and get some work done. So apparently they arrive through a hidden realm gate. Someone here has a question as to whether or not did Teclis hide this realm gate? I don't know if that's true. I think a lot of the realm gates are are hidden in this in this world. Well, but it specifically says that they are um, the lake was hidden from the paths of men and ghosts not only by bluffs and steep escarpments, but also by powerful illusions woven millennia ago. Mm, okay. But Teclis knows about it. So my question is: when Sigmar was hiding these storm vaults, is Teclis hiding realm gates from? <laughs> Do you think? Quite, quite possible. Now you could see how angry he got when, like, Sigmar was hiding things. So you wonder yeah. if maybe that he's all about revealing stuff with the light of of Hish. All right, so they uh, they pop up through a lake, like they start off as like motes of light, and they sort of s- found a beachhead on this lake. Once everything's secured, then they start bringing uh, the forces of Lumineth uh, in mass. Uh, they realize that like they can't necessarily strike at the most populated or strongest uh, positions in, in Shyish. And so uh, they all band together. They hop on like some floating mountains that the stone mages are able to rip up from the ground. And they start flying t- um, to not uh, Catacros's home base, uh, but rather they have their sights set on these three giant sh- like fortress statues called the Triptychs. And they think, all right, well, let's go, let's go uh, basically vandalize uh this part of Shyish um, sort of to bloody Nagash's nose a little bit. I, I mean, it's, it's a little taunting as, as far as I'm concerned. So their goal is to travel sort of 
as unseen as possible until they get to this destination. So that's why they're floating up in the air. Uh, the defenses, uh, like the the deaf defenses, aren't expecting you know an entire army to just to float over above them. So like they, for the most part, are, are unseen um, until they uh, get to these um, statues. And I'm trying to remember what brings them down because it is not a smooth landing uh, when they arrive. So the the statue of Catacros. Uh, there are three statues that were erected in honor of the generals who took down chaos and stopped the invasion from taking over uh, the Ozioks, uh land. And um, so the first one is Catacros, and the statue of Catacros starts moving, takes its massive sword, and just cleaves one of the three rocks in twain, uh, sending it spilling to the ground. Oh, no. Um and in doing so, that sort of eliminates one, like the luminance, like advantage at this point, right? Because they were, you know, airborne, and uh, the um, bone reapers aren't necessarily known for their aerial assaults. But now that they've sort of been grounded, literally, the ground has been sort of fallen out from underneath them. Um, they have to, they being the luminance, have to resort to uh, their tried and true methods of forming up phalanxes, sticking their pokey spear bits out, and trying to weather the uh, storms of this. Uh, of the waves of the bone reapers sort of crashing up against them it's the classic it becomes one of the classic like warhammer battle scenes where each side like nominally has the advantage until like oh nope here's this new unit that just shows up and starts beating the heck out of you so it goes from the spearmen have their their walls but then the mortar mortar crawlers come crawling up overneath them and then like the the um wardens spread out and then oh you know no here come the uh Aerolith, the stone dudes with the big hammers, and they start smacking people around. But then uh, the other bone reapers, their heads turn, and now, now they can fight effectively against the the Lumineth. Sorry, I'm glossing over this, but it's, it's the back and forth, back and forth as they um, are trying to, uh, I guess, disrupt or push back the other other side. Um, at point, the cavalry is is brought in. Um, it, again, it's a it's a showcase, I guess, for a lot of these um, newer units that we haven't had a lot of experience uh, to see on the battlefield. So I, I, I'm glad that they take advantage to like moment by moment um, show off what each of these um, groups can do. Uh, blah blah blah. What comes next? Where, I mean, where do we go from here? What breaks this? What breaks this stalemate? Um, there was another secret floating island. That uh, that that lands in the back. I don't know if we're ready for this. Yeah, do it. I don't know if you wanted to do like the the you know the sword masters come out and then the bone reapers. Uh, you know the, their big guys come out and they, they go back and forth as you imagine. But then uh, you know the the battle seems to hang in the balance. But the Lumineth were you know this was part of the plan all along. Maybe I don't, actually maybe maybe getting their islands blasted out of the sky by dying statues wasn't part of the plan. But either way, they had an extra floating island in reserve coming up behind. And it lands kind of safely, secretly, and like the uh, a whole nother army of Lumineth come out, including most importantly the oh boy, what are the cow mountains called? The, I think uh, cow mountain. I think you got it. Yeah, I think cow it's cow mountains. Right? Al- yeah, Alarith spirit of the mountain. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Got it in one. Um, yeah there's a number of mountain spirits uh mountain spirits who are you know these giant colossal mountain souls in big cow armors with huge mallets and i believe they just come through and smash up the statues winning the battle yeah right and so like the all of the fortress statues end up getting taken down if i remember correctly 
So this was one battle is to take these triptychs down, but it, it switches gears like it, it changes perspectives because this wasn't the only front on which they were fighting. Um, there's the Equus Main, which is another continent of the Empire uh, here in Shayish. Um, also saw um, a lot of the, the Lumineth Cav running around. Um, uh, they at some point have to cross a river and they use the wind to like leap them up over the top. And they, it, this is a, an effort to like showcase, showcase some of the new wind models. And so they're able to take advantage of, uh, wind powers, I guess, as they shoot their arrows, which normally wouldn't do any damage to these, um, bone reapers, but because the, the wind is able to direct their arrows to the most like, uh, pinpoint like weakness. Like if they're fighting a Zelda boss, then it hits the, like the glowy gem in their chest and it's able to like, you know, decimate a whole, uh, bone reaper contingent. Um, but the point is, is all of these different fronts that they're fighting in Shayish, um, their goal isn't necessarily to, you know, conquer or, 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 you know, drive off, um, the bone, uh, bone reapers or any other uh, forces of death, even though really it's just the bone reapers that we ever see here. Um, but their mission stated mission is really just in general to, um, have sort of quick, decisive victories that then they can tell folks about, or I mean, not, not essentially to show off, but they're they're trying to instill hope in this realm, and so they want the the rumors or legends and stories of what they're accomplishing here to spread out, with the goal of inspiring, I guess, other residents of this realm to whether or not to rise up or to resist or or, or what have you, um, because they know that they're not going to be able to just conquer the place wholesale. It's just that they need to be strategic in what they can do so that they can inspire others to you know take up the the cause this i thought was i guess interesting you hear this is maybe not a trope but this happens in stories like i'm not unfamiliar with the concept but did they think that nobody else was was trying to fight death before i mean this is at this point like the necroquake's been going on for a while like sigmar has been fighting these this war for for you know for for a very long time at this point did they just think that nobody cared like did they think that nobody was trying to resist because i've got plenty of stories that show that there have been plenty of people who are trying to do something about this maybe they're not super effective but i i thought it was i don't know a little arrogant or you know tone tone deaf that have folks in this don't worry we'll come and we'll show you guys how to do it i'm like well i don't know like everybody else has has been fighting death this whole time the necroquake back three years ago uh, in real lifetime like i think we call this hearts and minds i guess yeah minds um yeah i think you know they explain kind of towards the end what the lumineth overall strategy was and i think there's definitely a piece of arrogance in there um, there's also the secret strategy, which I don't know if we want to talk about, which is just to goad Nagash. Mm-hmm. It's just to incite a retaliation. Uh, we'll talk about that more later. Yeah. Uh, but that is that is like the, the like there's like real victories they're trying to win here. Um, but like the other thing and that this makes this like makes a lot of sense uh, when you like read Teclas's behaviors through that lens uh, for the, the, the like the penultimate or ultimate goal here is to get Nagash enraged to counterattack. Sure. Um, and I'll, I'll, well, I don't know if this is the section that you wanted to talk about, but I'll, I'll, I'll point out that for the most part, they're generally successful. Like they're, they're able to, you know, get in and get out and get to the places that they, you know, want to have their victories at. It's all very strategic and, and sort of part of this plan. Um, but I, I guess, they, the book made it seem like th- th- maybe the Lumineth didn't take into account the fact that, like, for every lo- every little like loss that they ceded uh, the Bone Reapers, like 
the Bone Reapers are only going to get stronger depending on what they can take from you. And so every every Illumineth that they that dropped was then ammunition for um, the Bone Reapers, and the Bone Reapers just <laughs> gobbled them up. But they were they were happy to take Lumineth bones because the the Elven uh, um, resources in their bones are so much stronger and better than than a lot of what they had available to them and so like it was it was turned occasionally was turned around turned around on them is that like all right well you're, you're just somehow bolstering some of the the uh, bone reapers by giving them you know your your bodies Ooh, i don't even like saying that i love i love that's like man these bone reapers they're reaping our bones it makes them stronger <laughs> How dare I they? Plan, like, I didn't plan crazy. for this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How could uh, we have anticipated this? Exactly. Uh, so there's a couple things that they do in this that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, so as they're going along and like fighting this running battle, like Teclas is like, oh, I'm going to put some sigils here to like actually cleanse the land. So Lumineth, or so Teclas puts a sigil in the realm of death. And it undoes Shayeshian magic, which means like, hold up. So we got somebody from Hish coming into Shayesh and being like, oh, BT dubs, this is no longer contaminated with Shayesh magic. Like, oh, this is a new thing. Like that we can literally take away the realm magic from a place in the realm itself, which I thought was really interesting. If you ask me, he shouldn't be allowed to do that. That seems yeah, like exactly. it's against the rules. Which and, and makes me question because later on Teclas does rune and now it says it burns away quote Nagash's twisted influence instead of Shayishian magic. So I'm wondering if perhaps that was a typo or if that was what was intended. Because as we all know, I love an unreliable narrator. And or, uh, or is this are you gonna lead us down the path of Nagash isn't the god of death, but rather the correct. god of undeath? And I know where you're going. This is a strong point that is going to have some real strong salience towards the end of the book is he's undoing Nagash's power. Is he actually undoing the realm of death? Which is a really interesting question, I think, that this book, that's true, uh, this book really goes deep into is what does the realm of death mean? Who is the lord of the realm of death? And then how does this actually move it forward? Um, and one of the things that the runes does is it also will pin an afterward world in place. So then they can't go into the Nadir. They can't be drawn into the Nadir if Teclas has drawn a rune in their afterworld, which is super interesting to me because it changes the way that the setting has evolved and allows somebody from Hish to control the magic in Shayesh. Which is which is new and fascinating, and against the rules. That's exactly. So, so I think this is a good place to take stock. At, like, I think we're closing out this chapter here. Um, so, like, what what are the? How do we balance the scales here? So, the elves come in. They win some moral victories. They take down some culturally significant landmarks for the Bone Reapers. Um, although the Bone Reapers do like to comment. You guys weren't the first people to knock down these statues. Like they, you know, we've re- we've re-erected them before. We've outlasted everybody else. We'll outlast you too. Like you know, you the the, for, the forces of death kind of work on a different time scale than even the elves. Um, and that's kind of like the way this plays out. The the elves do achieve major victories, including those geometric sigils they paint into the 
the afterworld to hold them in place, as well as they say they do make a meaningful impact on the hope of the people of the realm of death. Um, and that hope has a physical manifestation in reality that prevents the sinking into the Saryash Nadir. Like losing hope can actually for, can actually speed up that process to oblivion. They talk about it in this book, and they also talk about it in Cursed City, where one of the mechanics is if people lose hope, the whole city falls into the black hole. Um, so they do win those things, but uh, as we mentioned before, the Bone Reapers are taking, you know, the Bone Reapers are uh, pretty much infinite in Shayesh, and they are taking the, the casualties of their war against the Lumineth and using it to grow stronger. They're also taking the Lumineth souls, these precious commodities to the Lumineth, these, um, these, you know, these sacred kind of people and torturing them and like adding using them to reinforce their legions as well. And so that's kind of both a a material loss, but also like a psychological loss to the Lumineth. So it's a very like fair victory. The Lumineth are winning here. Um, but as I mentioned before, I think this is part of an even greater chess game that Teclis is playing. Yeah, I, there's a... Uh, I don't want, it's not a parallel, but it, it's interesting when we talk about Lumineth souls, it often goes hand in hand with like Slanesh, like that sort of the elf soul versus like Slanesh interaction. And it's interesting to see a third player come into that and make it sort of a soul love triangle a little bit to be like, yeah, I'm sure the elves are so you know scared of having their souls being corrupted by a chaos God that like it might not even often occur to them that, oh no, there's plenty of other guys that want to mess with your souls too. Uh, oh, and here, here comes one right now uh, as he's making the, the play things out of these folks. So that's a, a different terror in and of itself. Um, While you're thinking, I just want to uh, go off of that. I love new matchups in Warhammer. Like, give me a new matchup. Like, two guys that have never fought. It's always, it's always really fun. I was, like, seeing kind of, like, you know, who, what would happen against these two? And that's what this whole book is. Teclis versus Nagash is not a traditional matchup. And boy, does it deliver. Yeah. Um, the kind of last point I would like to make is that where Teclis comes into Shayesh is he comes in in Halost, which is uh, noteworthy. Because last summer, White Dwarf did an entire campaign set in Halost, which is the underworld of heroes. Uh, so there's actually a ton of background if you want to go and explore what this is. Um, because the afterlife is of these dead heroes, but then Sigmar comes in and takes a bunch of them to make into a, uh, a race of Stormcast that we might recognize from Broken Realms Marathi the anvils of a Heldenhammer. And so the guys in Hellost are not particularly fond of Sigmar. And now Teclis comes in and then runs a raiding party and steals some of their land to go and try and take out Ossia. So we've got a really interesting afterworld here where they're starting to get taken out by everybody, but they're one of the strongest afterworlds that actually held out against Nagash. So if you want more about that, go check out those old white dwarfs because there's a lot of information in there. That is pretty cool. Um, I remember the final thought, just as a real quick thing. I was given the Lumina crap before um, about, you know, being sort of arrogant and, you know, taking their fight to uh, taking their fight to the other realms, thinking that they're all important. However, with that being said, they are like this is a sacrifice for them. They are they are putting in the work and giving up of themselves to do so. So, I mean, it is fairly altruistic in that like they are literally, I mean, this terrible thing that could be happening to them, they're losing their bodies and their souls for the good of the other realms. Whereas before they were fairly isolationist. Um, 
does speak to a certain level of I don't know, charity. Um, and so although maybe they have not a great attitude about it, at the end of the day, they are doing good, I think. Um, so I will give them credit where credit is due. And all right, now this, this section, Act 2, is known as the War of the Mortarks. What could that possibly mean? Where are we going? What are we doing? All right, we're on to the next act here. And here, this is Nagash continuing to work his great plan against uh, the mortal realms to to cover, you know, kill everybody and then rule in undeath. So all will become Nagash. And he, what he wants to do is he wants to spread the curse of the Shayish Nadir, um, so the black hole sucking everything in, um, to the other realms. And he picks, he picks three realms and three Mortarks to enact those plans. And so what they want to do is they want to create little black holes that plug into the big black hole and just like suck it all in. And they need to do massive death rituals in order to make this happen. Uh, so he sends, we'll talk about each of them, I think, but he sends the three, the, uh, three original Mortarks. Yeah, three OG. Yeah, three OG Mortarks from the end times. And um, he sends Manfred, Mortark of Night, to the Realm of Life. He sends uh, Neferata, Mortark of Blood, to Shaman, the Realm of Metal. And he sends Archon the Black, Mortark of the Sacrament, to Hish. We'll start by these. And so this is a little orthogonal to what is happening with the Lumineth attacking the... Uh, attacking the realm of death. Although I think, I think uh, Archon is kind of put in place to specifically to punish the elves as well, but it's also something I think they wanted to do anyway, which was spread the, the curse of, of the Nadir everywhere. Um, uh, so I want to talk about the realm of life uh, yeah. specifically. Uh, this is, so this is Manfred and Manfred is um, kind of the, I don't know, the worst guy in Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think uh, Teclas is. So I don't. Need... <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, so Manfred, uh, uh, kind of known most notably for ending the old world, where he betrays the last alliance of men and elves, uh, and the you know the final gambit ritual to to stem the tide of chaos. He ruins it and kills everybody. Well, he comes back. You know, he's back. Can I say that I love that Manfred is the only character that like, you know, this this guy was so amazingly terrible in the old world. We literally need to tell the story of how terrible he was in the old world because every other character like, oh, they're from the old world or whatever. And they're like, no, 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 look at this awesome thing that he did. It was so bad that we have to tell you how amazingly bad it was. And Nagash was like, dude, I respect you because you were such a jerk and you were such a self selfish person. You're going to become my Mortark again. Like, I, I just thought it was an awesome intro. It's also Nagash likes to punish people in ironic ways. And in making the ultimate rebel serve for eternity at Nagash's table is one of those ironic punishments that Nagash enjoys. And he hates it so much. Yeah. And he's also bound, I believe, more tightly to Nagash than he was in the old world because all, almost, I think almost all of the forces of death uh, minus maybe a few narrative examples, are part of Nagash and are bound directly to him. Yeah. Um, so a lot of stories feature uh, Manfred knowing that he's bound to Nagash and like sharing like one mind in, in some sense. Um, so Manfred has to get creative with how he can like 
circumvent that rule, like to not be, like betray Nagash, but not to betray him in order to get like his own personal agendas completed. It's one of one of the more fun um, interpersonal connections in the in the game. Yeah, and this is an aside, but one of the fun things about Nagash is that part of him is a betrayer. Like part of Nagash's core personality is to betray. So the pieces of himself have a will to betray themselves. Um, so it, it adds, you know, uh, I think more exciting uh, interest and narrative interest to, to, to Nagash's uh, kingdoms. However, where are we? We're in the realm of life. We're in NVIDIA, which is kind of the main section of the realm of life where we get narrative action. It's heavily Nurgleified, uh, like most of the realm of life, but it has a number of bastions of order. This is where the seeds of hope were sprung, which are the kind of some of the first cities of Sigmar, um, the Living City, Greywater Fastness, the Phoenicium, Hammerhall Gyra. Oh, is there one I'm missing? I don't think so. Is there one I'm missing? Write us in. Write us in at themortalrealms.com slash email. Uh, I don't, that's pa- Paven at themortalrealms.com. <laughs> yeah. yeah, send your love letters there. Um, so, yeah, so we're in NVIDIA. Uh, Manfred comes through the Bleeding Gate, which was a you know really beautiful, nice uh, uh, a realm gate into Shayesh. Got corrupted by Nurgle. Now it's like always like like thick oozing blood is coming out of it. As, and um, so that's that's where Manfred and his forces come through. They need to enact a huge sacrifice of people dying. You know their spirits passing over. That creates a tunnel that goes into the Nadir. I don't know what the actual physics of this magic is, but you can imagine how like a lot no of people does. Die, uh, <laughs> with death magic like creates the a whirlpool of it. Yeah, that makes in, in somewhat intuitive sense. Uh, so he's like collecting slaves, raiding the area. And uh, two things to note before he starts this mission, when when he gets this assignment, the other Mortarks are kind of laughing at him because it sucks. Like, Nurgle is super powerful. Ariel is the Everqueen is super powerful here. It seems like a real bum mission. Um, but he and, and, and he also has to be away from his own kingdom in Shayash, which, oh, God, what was it? What was his kingdom called? Uh, Something well, dumb. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that, but I do kind of mean that. Um, it's uh, Karstenia. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Don't talk down to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, Karstenia. Um, and because like the vampires are always uh, uh, are attacking each other and working against each other. And they, they specifically say, which is a fun thing that, uh, the forces of um, uh, his rival uh, Neferata's like agents are going to wreck, you know, wreck his kingdom while while he's gone. Including, uh, spoiler, Jelson Derok, witch hunter of the Cursed City, who is under the employ of vampires. Mm-hmm. What? Well, and the other thing I think is a super spoiler as well is he's not the only agent of the Order of Azir that's under Neferata's control. It specifically says agents. So are we getting those two new witch hunters that are under Broken Realms? Are they going to be operating under Neferata? Are we getting they're, devoted, they're, but they're actually agents of Neferata? Is that what they, they could all be on the take? They yeah. could all be on the take. We exactly. Can't them all. 
Who who, who, hunt, who who witches the witch hunter? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna highlight that. That's the tagline of this episode. Um, so remind me because I didn't. I haven't read the Curse City stuff yet. Is the Jelson Derrick? Is that little tidbit? Is that in the Curse City book? I have no it, idea. I don't. It, I, I, so, I didn't get a free copy of Curse City. I'm sorry. So uh, it is heavily implied, but it does not specifically say Neferata. But if you read between the lines, it says it's Neferata. It says that he is in the employ of a vampire. He's getting information from a master of spies. Mm. As long as he gets to keep killing vampires, he really doesn't care. Oh, okay. That's cool. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. Um, but he gets sent out on this mission. And I, I think it, it always is implying that Malfred's trying to, you know, snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat. And you're always expecting him to, like, turn it around. Because right from the get-go, the forces of Nurgle rally against him, including uh, Hortic- Horticulus? Horticulus. Horticulus, I think. Horticulus Slimux, the Garden of Nurgle. And he is a very old, very crotchety plague player who rides a giant plague snail. Um, and he's he's responsible. He's a you know has a whole territory within Nvidia um, called the Claim of Horticulus, and he has you know the Reality Slows Sorcery there. The Bleeding Gate is where it, you know is where uh, Manfred is coming out. He rallies his forces. Uh, he you know he gets two named uh, demon characters to come with them, which are Rodigus. And well, Rod- Rodicus comes, but also new ones, including um, the Scoilprox Scrivener, known as Norak, Nodrak the Snitch, and a sloppy <laughs> biopiper named Gortical, Gortical Pup Skull. I'm butchering these names. Nope, yeah, I didn't he, gets, he, gets a, yeah, he gets a merry band of neural creatures, and they kind of like overwhelm um, the, the vampire's forces on one flank. And then on the other flank, uh, the Sylvaneth and Ariel herself, like, notice that, you know, death is rising in their realm. And they come from the other direction and, uh, and overwhelm the, the forces. I believe, it, 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 is it a, a huge, one, one force is like a vampire force, one is a dreadwalker, a zombie force. Um, but both get overwhelmed by, like, massive, uh, massive superior uh superior armies uh in both the sylvaneth and the nurgle um you know it's it's like uh you know trying to take on like france and russia at the same time and uh and so and so you think that he oh is he gonna like get them to collide together like well my guess was he thought i was gonna they're gonna collide in the middle and all of that death would be used in the ritual uh but no uh manfred bugs out and he's like well Chalk this one up to an L. I did my best. And then he goes and invades Neferata's kingdom. Uh, yeah. So, so he, he does use it to his advantage in his own internal politicking in Shayesh, which becomes even more important later. Um, but that's the, you know, that's the invasion of NVIDIA kind of quickly brought to a close. Yeah. If you read uh, Broken Realms, The Path of Futility, it's actually a prequel to this chapter here. Um, and the, one of the cool things is that they start, they talk about something called a beacon mortis, um, which is a floating bone construct relic that raises the dead. And so I'm wondering if that is a new model that we're going to be getting in the new Gravelords release, because 
That sounds epic. I, I hope we get more of this Manfred plan because I feel like what I've been given here isn't much of a plan at all. He was really talking up the fact he's like, oh yeah, I hope I lose. So in the prequel story, he's he's talking about how he, he's like, yeah, I, I plan on losing. I hope I lose. He didn't need to lose to not go. Like he, he didn't need to lose to then go mess with Neferata. Like he, there were a million other ways for him to like mess with Neferata without him taking all these people over to uh, NVIDIA and then like losing. I don't know how the losing like came into play. Like, I guess maybe it gives him an excuse to bug, bug her back to like Shayish, but this doesn't seem like a master plan at all. Uh, so I hope there's more to it than that. Um, and maybe we'll find out more um, as time goes on. Like what in perhaps it relates to the grave lords release but i that left for me personally i left a little and i wanted to hear like uh, you know betrayals and backstabs and you know plans within plans sort of thing but and maybe that's not even necessarily manfred's mo though it kind of is sometimes i mean he's not neferata but like no i was i was very much the same thing with you Aaron. i was like oh cool he planned to do this now oh he's gone okay what, what was the big plan why do we have a story yeah. leading up to this plan right like the other one is like, dude, we mind wiped you. Like, that's kind of sweet. Like, oh my goodness, this main character's mind wiped. And it's just like, I'm going to lose. Hey, look, boys, I lost. All right. Bye. Peace out. <laughs> yeah. I was, exp- I, was, and I was just expecting more. And again, maybe there's more to come. So I, I won't give up yet, but I, I hope uh, more comes of it. And I'm sure it will. Uh, so that is Manfred's story. Always running away. Always uh, the better part of Valor. Um, then the next story is the Neferata tale. So Neferata is all about taking Shemon, right? Shemon! And so, uh, so Neferata is all about the plans within plans, right? Like she's got plans, and then she's got plans within those plans, and then she's got plans within those plans, and then plans within those plans. So like you just got so many plans. And then Zeech is like, man, you got too many plans, girl. Her blueprints are all over everything. <laughs> get it anyway so uh so she has been waiting for this opportunity and been prepared for this for i don't know it feels like she knew that this was going to be a thing because the main antagonists that she has to deal with in shimon are the caradron overlords and she's been seeding this like doubt and paying people off to avoid a specific area called the granthium mountains in uh, the spiral crux. So we're going back to where Aether War was, which I think is kind of cool, where they're connecting the formerly released box sets where you got an army versus an army, and they're pulling the narrative forward from that box set into the now. And one of the examples here is with Aether War, we're pulling the spiral crux, which is where Aether War happened, into this chapter where Neferata is in the Granthium Mountains, and she's prepared this massive uh, massive sacrifice and convince all of the Caradron overlords to go away and just avoid the area of the mountains entirely. But there is just that one little uh, this one little hitch is that there is a Caradron overlord admiral, a female, uh, Miss Baron's daughter, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and she looks at the maps because she's like a map person. She looks at the maps and she's like, dude, this Granthia Mountains, everybody keeps avoiding it. She's like tracking other ships and being like, you literally took a right angle to go around the Granthia Mountains, but you wasted money and you wasted fuel. And that is not what we care drawn overlords do. We make money. We don't spend fuel unless we can make money by doing it. So why the heck is everybody avoiding 
this specific area. So she takes her uh, she takes her whole fleet and is like, I'm going to go explore into this area. And there's a little aside that she's getting all this information from all over the place for her maps, including these uh, twin Lumineth, which will be uh, important later. And she goes in and ends up figuring out that, oh, crap, Neferata is here, and she's got this massive, massive ritual. And basically her entire fleet is just absolutely destroyed, except for her her flagship. And she makes it back to Beric Zilfin and is just like, dude, this is like terrible. I am now bankrupt. Everything is horrible. But turns out that Eliana and Athor are those two twin elves that she was talking to. And they're like, oh, dude, this is where Neferata is going to be. Neferata is pulling her thing here. Crap, we got to go deal with this. So they send messages and end up getting some help from some Elementors and end up with a stone mage who was like super tight with them and were friends from when they were little and like, dude, these guys, they're awesome. You really need to make sure that they're totally invested in the army because they're going to do great things. And they end up going to go and try and figure out what's going on with this ritual. And they show up and they're like, crap, this ritual is happening now. We need to stop this now. Otherwise, oh, BT dubs, we're going to have a Nadir in the spiral crux. And that is toast bad news. So they go in and just like, they're like, this is death. And I know it's death, but we've got to stop this. So they go in, they just start attacking hordes and hordes because Neferon is just like, I've got an entire army here to make sure that nobody interrupts my ritual because this is the most important thing going on in the world right now. And they start going through the first wave of dead walkers and then the second wave. And they're like, this is, this is just way too much. And then they've got this cool Colin Throne shout out where they have these three vampires that are all doing crazy, awesome things. And then the, the, the boy twin ends up in mortal danger. So then the girl twin is just like going crazy, trying to rescue him. And, and then this stone mage is just like, dude, peace. I'm out. Opens up the rock and goes down into the rock. And all the elementaries were like, dude, hap- what happened here? Like, were you here to support us? And you literally just like disappear into the rock. And you know what your girl does? You know what she does? She goes down into the mountain in the realm of metal, communes with the spirit of that mountain, not a Lumineth mountain, not in the realm of Hish, in the realm of metal, and single-handedly convinces that spirit to come up and to smash the crap out of Neferata's army. It's like literally just, oh, I don't need no mask. I don't need no temple. I'm just going to go down. I'm going to commune so hard that the spirit of the mountain just shows up and just starts smashing the crap out of everything. And Neferata throws a freaking hissy fit and is like, no, this is terrible. You're ruining everything. And then literally pulls down the cavern on top of everybody and then pieces out. Finn. Oh my gosh. High drama. Uh, I, I'm, my heart's beating after hearing that retelling. Um, I don't. I don't have anything to add there either. Haven, you got anything to add to Paul's riveting uh, tale of exploits? No. I what I like in this book and like generally the expansion of the Lumineth range is how many special characters we've gotten, um, and I like that the the new twins, twins two point uh, appear in the book because <laughs> um, like you know the I you know I as the I used to have the old High Elf book and that was like had so many like the cast of characters was so 
invocative and, and at this point very nostalgic. And like, I like to see the new generation of all these um, cool elf heroes get, get their, their time to shine, so to speak. Yeah, very neat. Um, I guess that maybe leads us to the third and final of the War of the Mortarks, which is our dude Archon taking the fight to Hish. So um, don't don't come and step to Shyish if you don't want uh, them to swing back. Don't start S word. There won't be S word. Um, and so uh, in. You mean Shyish, right? You're talking about yeah. Shyish. Don't start. Don't shy. Don't start shish. There won't be shish. Um, and the uh, the Black Pit, which I think I mentioned earlier, is a is a realm gate from Hish to Shyish uh, or vice versa. Out in the Yemetrikin, oh, is that the word? Yemet is that how you say that? Yemetrikin wilderness, Nailed and a it. bunch of pale. Yeah, a bunch of pale lights, uh, pale green lights start popping up, and it turns out it's the eyeballs of the no myriad i don't know what the subfaction of the the bone reapers and if you folks harken back to um if you hearken to when we talked about arkin uh <laughs> his his bone his bone reaper uh of you know some faction of choice is these null myriads and so uh these bone reapers are made from the skeletons of those that were um ferrying the grave sand in shyish from the perimeter inimical down to the center um of, of Neget, towards nagash's giant pyramid where they made it so because of that they are particularly immune or resistant to magic so if you're going to go invade the realm of the lumineth a very magical bunch you're going to want to bring in these null myriad uh skelly boys with you so they pop up, uh, but fortunately, if you're a Lumina fan, but unfortunately, if you're not, um, the it's very very quickly apparent that they're here. The Lumina know that they're around because they're so in tune with their uh, with the environment and with the realm. So anybody steps foot who, who ain't supposed to be there, they're they're all they know all about it. Um, so uh, they first try to. Um, trick them into uh coming into a mountain pass or something and and, and lead them into an ambush and so essentially maybe it, it, it works to begin with but they didn't they maybe underestimated uh the the bone reapers to some degree they weren't prepared for their um magical defenses and soon it's they're maybe on the back foot and again this is another example of a battle where it kind of goes back and forth the lumineth have the upper hand and then the, the bone reapers have uh the up and hat upper hand um their sort of finesse and magic isn't particularly uh, uh, effective against this group. But then th this is where they bust out their ballista, which is, again, the sort of introduction of this new unit here in this story. And so then they start lining up, lighting them up with these, you know, giant uh, bolts fired from uh, their uh, ballista. ballistas. Yeah, you got it. Um, and so because of this, uh, sort of bringing to, to bear a lot of their new stuff, um, they're able to weather this... Uh, Bone Reaper storm initially, and then soon they're able to turn the tide pretty definitively with the aid of Severith, the Lord of the Seventh Wind, which is a new named character. Speaking of new characters, he's that fox dude with the bow. Um, so uh, he and his other sort of sp uh, wind spirits um, aid in driving the Bone Reapers back to the gate. Or no, no, they drive they drive them back, and then uh, Arcan says, "You know, what, screw this!" Snaps a finger, and then like teleports his whole army into like a cloud of shadow or something. And they, and they disappear, uh, from the realm of Hish, which, uh, never to be seen again. And that's the end of this story. No, no wait. Arkan had a backup plan because of course he did plans with him, plans with him, plans. These death guys, they know what they're doing. Um, he thought he would try this black pit realm gate first, but he figured if this wouldn't work, 
his next best bet would be to instead use a different realm gate that I'm sure has a name uh, that transports his army to the perimeter of Hish, or the, also a perimeter inimical. Given that the Nomiriad uh, doesn't seem to mind sort of the torrential magic that exists out there, he figured, all right, well, let's let's head out in that direction instead and stage our invasion there, and then we'll set up our, our dark ritual um, we'll continue with our, you know, our mini Shayish Nadirs, create a, a black pit there, and no one's ever gonna, no one's gonna come bother us because, like, it's uh, incredibly hostile to any like mortal creature. So that's exactly what they do. Uh, fortunately, or unfortunately, if you don't like the Lumineth, um, Selenar becomes aware of this plan somehow, uh, and through rays of inspiration, alerts the Lumineth to Arcan's Archon's uh, plan B, essentially saying, hey, look, he's, he's going to be coming at you from a different direction. Um, you probably should do something about this. Now the question is, well, what do we do about it? Like, generally, folks don't spend a lot of time uh, out, on the edge of the, uh, out on the edge of the realm, so much so that, like, even when Tyrion, like, spent a holiday out there, got his eyes burnt out for it. So, as you can tell, not the greatest... Uh, greatest place that was a um, bad vacation that was a yeah. bad vacay um you, you've you've gotten sunburned imagine getting your eyes burned out um and so uh they have to decide what, what are they gonna do about this who's gonna volunteer to sort of lead this i don't know basically a suicide mission to um stop our plan uh who rises up but none other than a boy uh, who's already been blinded and also doesn't seem to have a physical body, uh, but the light. Oh man, good to. Wait, no, no, it's not necklace. Uh, Sorry, it's Altherion. Yeah, but you, I mean, you also owe me a dollar. Uh, it's Altherion. Plus, this dude's got a bone uh, to pick. Mm, there's somehow that's a joke, right? That, that literally, he has no bones. There's literally yeah, well, no bones. but he's, he wants Arcan. But Arcan's, I think, mostly made of bones. Um, with Arcan, because as we as we often talk about the world that was, Altharian was a mighty warrior. I don't know; he wasn't a prince, but he's he's a higher up dude. Um, he was a warden. He was the warden, warden of uh, Yerves. Uh, that was uh, yeah, he was. He was the warden of Tor Yerves. Sure. That's right. um, and through the events of uh, the end times, he he one one v one Arcan. Um, cause he was, you know, trying to save his friend's uh, daughter or something. Uh, and Arcan hand adjusted that fool and fast forward, fast forward in, in the, this new, um, mortal realms, his spirit persists, but his body does not. But at any rate, uh, Which was a wonderful, like throwback. Like I love this matchup because he had abducted him. And even though literally the world blew up. It's such a strong spell, and Archon is such a master spellcaster that when Tekos is like, yo, boy, Eltherion, come on, join me. You're my homie. We're going to have some fun together. And then Teklos is like, oh, I'm going to pull all the millions of particles of your soul that I could find and put you into a body. And when he resurrected him, right, which is a thing that we have now, uh, he resurrected him, and immediately his heart explodes again. And, like, he tried time and time again to make him into a real person. And... The hand of dust was so strong that every time they became a person, he immediately dispersed into how many different like particles. So this is why Eltherion is a being of pure light, is because his spirit remains, but his body is just cursed for eternity. So because of that, you'd wanna you'd wanna mess up the 
the dude that did to you did that to you too. Plus, he's also uniquely positioned as some guy who who may be able to weather the perimeter storm a little better. But I mean, the main reason is he wants to chop Arcana. Uh, also, let's let the record show that Teclas was the one who sacrificed Eltharion. He sent Eltharion to his death uh, in his quest to free the daughter of the Ever Queen from Archeon's, or Archon's grasp. And now what is he doing? The exact same thing again. That's not a good friend. Are you kidding me? He's like, oh, dude, you got killed by a sign. It's okay. I'm going to go send it. But on the other hand, right, he's got no bones to reap. So you send him against the Bone Reapers, totally fine, because they can't reap no bones from Altharion. Hey, uh, question for you. Why did Altharion uh, not go to prom? <laughs> Why did Altharion not go to prom? Uh, because he had nobody to go with. <laughs> At any rate, uh, so and <laughs> Eltharion was always Tyrion's bud, right? Like, yeah. So I mean, you can see why Teclos is like Teclos doesn't care. In fact, he's probably like, you know what? Screw my brother's friend. I hate that dude. Um, so uh, off they go. So uh, Eltharion goes, and then those Lumineth who are particularly loyal to him also volunteer, even though they know that they're going to their death essentially, um, because uh, the chances of survival incredibly low when you head out to the edges of the realms. Uh, so they head out to Hyxia, as Paul told me that it's spelled the same backwards as it is forwards. I didn't know that. Um, and they, yada, 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 uh, they, they end up having this uh, fateful sh- showdown. Um, that, that's what that's what the people want. And so, oh God, I got to remember the show. Does, does anyone who cares more about this want to talk about the, the duel? I feel like I don't have the, the emotional connection that maybe you two do to it. So in order to get there, right, they've got to walk to the perimeter inimical. So Archon has this realm gate, and then he's got these like magically resistant bone reapers in the Null Myriad, where he's just like, dude, I can handle this. And the Null Myriad are like, dude, I can handle this. But Eltharion, who literally is just this being of pure light, is leading an entire army of Lumineth that are slowly succumbing to the magic of the perimeter inimical. And like literally it's just like, oh, this guy, this guy totally turned into a prism. Sorry, he's gone. This guy turned into a beam of light. These guys, like literally we just saw ash on the ground and they're gone. So we've got this, you know, being of light leading this army to its death. And basically they come over this hill and they can see the realm gate. And Eltherion's like, Archon, you, me, now, let's go to it. And the rest of the women out there just like, dude, we just got to get him there. We're dead. Like we were already dead. There's nothing we can do to survive this. We just need to get Eltherion to him, and we got to give him his shot. And Eltherion walks up to him, and Archon's like, dude, hand of dust! And then he puts his hand in, and guess what? There ain't no body for Archon to hand of dust, because he already done that. And Eltherion's like, oh, I'm sorry. I've got no body here. And he takes his sword and just like, takes him. And rocks him out. And then he's just like, dude, I'm going to belly bump you backwards. And so he just basically just keeps taking him out and pushing him back and pushing him back and pushing him back. And they finally literally get to the edge of the realm. Not just the perimeter inimical, but like literally here is solid ground. There is nothing. And Eltherion just shoves him through and just like basically imagine 
the body goes back and then just completely gets swept into nothingness. And then his beast, Archon's beast, is just like, dude, no, jumps and gets completely dissipated as well. Yeah, guess resurrect. What, we got no Archon anymore. Archon is gone. As the last thing is like, I don't remember what else happened, but all I know is there's no Archon anymore. He is absolutely gone. And Archon, right? Like, I gotta. He'll be back, man. I mean, he'll, def- he'll definitely be right? back. Like he, well, he, he was basically a figment of Nagash's imagination at this point, anyways. Um, but like, he definitely got three hundred and off off the edge of the realm. They don't explicitly say that he kicks him off, but I like in my head, he definitely gives him the boot. Yeah, this is perimeter inimical. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Well, but now we got Archon one. We've got Eltherion one. So we got to have that, like, fight back. Got to have the tie break. Actually win it. Exactly. You got to have the tie break. I, I was totally not expecting this fight, and it was such a <laughs> treat to see this throwback. Yeah. Uh, it's a great combination of both the old and the new. Like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an old mashup. It's from the old world. These are old world characters, but they're very different in the new setting, especially Eltherion. And they're fighting at the edge of the mortal realm, which is, you know, Age of Sigmar nonsense zone. Uh, so it's very cool. <laughs> well, you were talking about, like, uh, you know, uh, fights that you haven't seen before, which is the Technus versus Nagash. But, like, if you're going to have uh, Hyles versus death or high else first vampire courts basically like you have to do this fight too like you can't do the techless versus nagash and not also like reference this one as well it was it was almost a necessity if you ask me so um although i wasn't expecting it per se like it, it, it's very clear that it, sort of retroactively that it, it needed to happen there were some debts unsettled that are now settled and the thing that was super satisfying to me right about this is so the miniature is cool Right, the story behind the miniature I is cool. I think that, but technically, I think the miniature is amazing. Okay. Right? Um, but now, this miniature makes so much narrative sense. You're like, oh, I get why you did that. Right. Not only did you make a really cool miniature out of an old world character, but you brought back that old world character so he could get revenge on the other old world character. And guess what? He did. And now he makes so much sense. And his character is so much cooler now because he literally fought over eons and from dissipation became a thing just to go and kick his butt. Like, that's amazing. And the thing I love is that Eltherion doesn't speak, right? So it's literally just this silent suit of armor destroying the most powerful mortal necromancer that ever existed. Like that's before cool. someone writes in. I think sometimes he te- he telepathically talks to like his friends, but you're right, he right. doesn't verbally like talk to. You're, that is true. He's still for everyone yeah. else. For everybody else, he's completely like this silent, you know, unstoppable force. Uh, very neat. Any other Arcan thoughts? I want I want you guys to think about this. I don't want an answer, but just generally mull this around. Are there any other old world old world grudges that you want to see settled uh, in the mortal realms? Hold on to that one. We'll, t- we'll talk about it one day. Um, sleep on it. And with that, I think is the ed- end of our act, act two. Do you guys got any holistic act two thoughts you want to bring up before we get into what comes next? One, two, three. Act three. All right. So uh, Nagash is 
over three at this point. That's not great for a guy who cares about numbers and stuff like that. And you know, the score, um, I think, uh, he's probably reeling a little bit. He might, he might have to take matters into his own hands, his own bony hands. Um, and so how, I'll ask you guys, how does he react? He doesn't take it well. Oh no. <laughs> Nagash, yeah. Nagash is furious. Um, especially at uh, the realm of Hish and Teclas and the Lumineth. Um, the Lumineth have been uh, purposefully antagonizing him, and obviously so. Like, <laughs> they invade the, rel- the realm of death. They stop his plans both in Hish, their homeland, and in Shaman. Um, and I believe uh, the Ever Queen and Teclas were coordinating over the defeat in the realm of life. So there is like kind of a line there in this like greater conflict between um, light and death. Um, so Nagash is a is a spiteful god, and so he goes to and, you know, and he's at the height of his power. the The Necroquake soups him up. Um, so he feels almost invincible. So he goes to Hish itself to to wreck house, right? He shows up. How does he show up? He goes through the same realm gate that Archon went through and failed. Then it's just like, yo, dogs, I'm here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He claws through and he, like, busts through all the wards. Like, the Lumineth had been warding that that realm. They're like, no, nothing else is going to bad going to come through here. And then the literal god of the dead or god of the undead uh, busts his way through. And, you know, like, all of the wards, like, burn in black fire. And this, the, the, the wind starts to smell of rotting meat and of desert pyramids and of you know long uh long undisturbed tombs like he is uh both a presence physically and metaphorically and uh spiritually emotionally uh of all of all things death gross no thank you so I'll, I'll say, so at this point, like, uh, as we said, the Lumineth had sort of set up all these wards and stuff, thinking that, like, nothing's going to break through. So they see, uh, oops, oh, God, no, that's Nagash. Um, oh, oh, the God of Death, that's Nagash. Uh, they realize that this region doesn't have the forces to even, like, hope to contend with him at this point, because this is, you know, the place where they lost so many folks when Arcan had marched through. Um, it, well, and, and also, it was Yometrico were the ones who had sent the people into Shayish, and so they are utterly domest- uh, decimated, and so they needed to send, you know, messengers, like, call for aid. Gondar calls for aid uh, to all the other sort of kingdoms of um, of the Lumineth. So they send them out to Zaytric and Ilathia and even Zintel, which is the center one where, like, the humans kick it, um, you know, looking for p- people to, like, reinforce them. Uh, so as they're gathering their strength and maybe trying to march towards this realm gate to, you know, drive them back, do what they can, um, they are confronted with the f- factor that this this giant orb um, of swirling uh, magic, a globe of swirling monochrome energy so large that it looked as if a small moon had settled over the portal. And that's the last that's thing we no need. Moon. The last thing we need is another moon at this point. You guys, it's so hard to keep track of them all. Um, and they're like, all right, well, we're going to have to blow that thing up. The, the command has fallen to um, Lior Ulthrail, who uh, is leading the Venari of the Emetrica because uh, Tyrion and Teclas nowhere to be found nobody knows where they where they're at 
just the last thing we need at this point. Like we need a we need a God throwdown. Um, so I mean, uh, the, they even put up a sign. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm not working today. I'll be back at twelve. Me right? back in five or anything. Yeah, out like, to lunch, dude. Um, so one of the things is at this point they've been like, hey, dude, the Bone Reapers. They totally reap our bones. That's bad because that makes them strong. So the Lumineth have started burning their bodies, right? Which is a, a, a total taboo thing. And um, they start depriving the Bone Reapers of bone, which is a great thing militarily, but it brings them this like super deep sorrow and terror, which makes their Cathalars actually work better because they take the sorrow and the anguish from the Lumineth and then cast it upon their enemies. Um, but they've started to, de- they started to understand how it is that we fight this enemy, which is, I think a cool thing that happened in this book that we don't necessarily see that often is from the beginning of the book to this point, they've learned, Oh, this is a new enemy. This is how we fight this new enemy. And so the, the souls that Nagash has are these souls that fell in Shayish. But now we have this interest. Now we have this fascinating situation where. Yeah, that's better. The Lumineth have been burned and their souls have gone somewhere. But we don't know exactly where that is. Maybe they've gone to Shayish. Maybe they've gone to an afterworld. We don't know. But the reason why they can't cleanse this moon of souls is because the souls of the Lumineth will go to some kind of purgatory. There is some kind of in-between space in the realms that has not light and not dark, but isn't an afterlife, but isn't a hell. Like So it's not heaven and it's not hell. We have a place where cleansed souls go to. And that is a new place in the realms. I don't know if that's in the gloaming. I don't know if that feeds Slanesh. I don't know if that's in between the realms completely. Who knows? But that to me was a, a really, really piquant thing that was thrown out into the lore as a throwaway line that I was like, oh, this is really fascinating. Hmm. Right um, so the battle does continue. They are able to, I, I mean, advance and get closer. Like, I mean, the, at this point now, the Bone Reapers are sort of playing defense a little bit to some degree. And so they're, they're, uh, I guess their focus is keeping up uh, their resources, right? It's like, how, how do we um, maintain our strength, especially if we're having a harder time being able to take advantage of the, the Lumineth's bodies as they as they drop Paul Watson. Are they, are they keeping up with the Boneses? <laughs> you get out of here. Walk away right now. Um, and uh, so like even, even some of like the battlements and stuff, like the physical structures that they've created out of bones, they're going to have to start tearing those down and scavenging, scavenging the bones from them to like reinforce their, their units and stuff. So that ends up showing like how desperate things are getting on, on their side. Um, Cause again, they're really just sort of running defense for uh, Nagash who's, you know, kicking it back there. Um, and it's at some point they realize that they need to take advantage, and this is where we can talk about um, Varshorn, but they, they realize they can take advantage of some of, uh, you know, other followers or, you know, worshippers. You know, actually, it says that, that, that they're not worshippers of Nagash, but other, other forces of death that they know are available here in the realm of light, if Paul wants to. So, uh, Zaramos is the guy that was left in charge when a car, Archon was just like, peace out, I'm gone. So, Zaramos is a That's exactly dude. what he said. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I said it word for word. Quotes. Direct quote. Uh, so 
Zaramos was like, all right, I kind of got this all taken care of. But then the elves start burning their dead. And he's like, all right, well, I need some more bones. But we've got these flesh eater quartz guys over here. So they're ruled by this guy who's just like a fanatic, a religious fanatic that like Nagash is all and all is Nagash. So I will do whatever it takes to give everything to Nagash, right? But there's also this other subject called Varshorn. And this story actually gets played out super well and super in-depth in the Flashpoint Broken Realms in the last two White Dwarves, 491 and 492. Um, and Varshorn is basically like, you know, the ruler here is cool and he's super into the whole Nagash thing. And I'm like, you know, Nagash is kind of cool, but I'm not all into this like religious fervor. And so when the bones stop coming from the Lumineth and they start taking away the bone reapers too, so they don't even get the dead from the bone reapers, Armos is like, well, I got to get me some bone. So he goes to the Flesh Eater Courts. And so the Flesh Eater Courts have all of these bone in their layers, right? But of course, to the Flesh Eater Courts, this is like, oh, this is the finest value tapestry that any money can buy. And this is a symbol and a trophy of my hunt from et cetera, et cetera, which they see as this like, you know, beautiful war memorial, but it's really just a stack of moldering bone. And so even in just a couple of paragraphs, they talk about how Zeramos is like, all right, so we need to start tithing you because we need to actually have a war effort here. So they start taking things, taking the bones out of the caves. But like the kings are like, dude, that's like, that's like my treasured relic from that super awesome battle where we killed that Lumineth Seaport. Like, you're taking away one of like the coolest things that I have. But okay, I guess if it's for the war effort, we can just kind of deal with it, right? And then they run out of that. So then Zaramos is like, all right, well, I need the bones that you've put into your skin. And they're like, but like, like that's our armor. And like, those are our weapons. Like, you're literally taking us apart. In order to like, but okay, whatever. I guess if we have to, we have to. You sound just like a flesh eater court, dude. You sound like just like well, a ghoul. I, I try. I try what I do. But then Zaramos is like, well, we need your soldiers now. We need your peasants. And Varshorn is like, no, this shall not stand. You shall not have my peasants. I am a sworn liege. I'm sworn to protect them. So Varshorn invites Zaramos to a feast, which he's done already. And Zaramos is like, all right, I'll come to your feast. I'll treat with you. And then he just starts slaughtering everybody. And Varshorn is just like aghast that this would happen. And how vile a betrayer. And then he ends up sending these Vargolfs that he had because Zaramos didn't scout very well and didn't realize, oh, crap, he's got a ton of these Vargais. And the Vargais come down and Varshorn beheads Zaramos. So death versus death and the Flesh Eater Courts just goes to town on the Bone Reaper and then just like crunches his helmet and is like, all right, this is a fine vintage. Well, turns out that was really bad because Zaramos was the only thing making sure that the Bone Reapers could survive in Hish. And the Flesh Eater Courts just kind of slaughtered him. So we got no bone. We got nothing going on. Crap, there's no defense left in Hish. And uh, the Lumineth take advantage, advantage Lumineth. Uh, I think that leads to the next section. So what's going on? What's going on on the Mount uh, Avalor? Uh, so I don't know if we like. So the reason Nagash is here, he wants to complete the great work of bringing the Nadir to Hish 
to have it suck into the afterlife, spreading the curse of undeath. And for his sacrifice, instead of, you know, 10,000 slaves or, you know, a massive battle, he is going to kill the mount, the greatest mountain in Hish, the, the peak of Avalor, um, which has a model, which is, uh, you know, the spirit of Avalor. Um, and so he's going to kill it himself. And all of the Lumineth are feeling that this is happening and that their sacred mountain is under threat and the devastation this would wreak upon the land itself uh, and the people of the Lumineth. And, but th- there's, there's little they, can do, they feel they can do against the power of a god, especially a god at like the height of his power like Nagash is. However, they muster their forces. Um, they steal their hearts and they march upon the mountain. And they, the, the Lumineth come from all over. Um, and they start to assault the, the mountain themselves where the Bone Reapers and uh, Nagash's forces have taken up residence uh, while Nagash uh, enacts this great right. Um, things are not looking good until, uh, like we've seen before, bada bing, bada boom, Teclis is back. Um, and I want to, and I can't believe I closed my book because I had some of the sections picked out. Uh, but this starts with um, them having a little bit of words with each other. And, uh, you know, they start, uh, you know, talking, you know, they start they start insulting each other, really, uh, like about the about the, the events of the old world. And um, uh, Teclis accuses Nagash of stealing elven magic originally when he starts, you know, killing the ancient empire of uh, of the tomb kings. And then Nagash goes back uh, and talks about how he doomed his brother uh, during the end times. Um, and now he's he's blinded because of you in this world and he's not even here. And Eccles cryptically says, my brother fights in his own way against a, fo- a foe far deadlier than you. Oh, snap. Also, who's that foe? More speculation on that later. Um, and then Nagash gets pissed because nobody is more deadly than Nagash. And then... Um, the god of death and then yeah. he like powers up and this is for, like the first of many god moves that nagash and teclas pull on each other but he summons three purple suns around each of his wrists and then throws them at teclas and then teclas does a does a teleports behind um so where does it yeah he teleports to the other side of the mountain framed in moonlight with the wings of selenor behind him uh and says um like Nagash says, uh, there's no such being as in there's no such being as dangerous, uh, more dangerous than me. And then Teclas does full pose with his pet uh, Sphinx. Uh, <laughs> he's like, in this, you are wrong. And then we cut to uh, this fight scene, which I'm yeah. going to I'm going to give you guys some highlights. Uh, An- anime fight. pose. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, <laughs> a fight for sure. Um, so Nagash, though, so we got the pose. And they say this battle happens like both in the physical and the astral plane. So they're, you know, they're playing multidimensional Age of Sigmar against each other. Uh, And so Selenor like is the opening uh, opening attack and all these attacks are super abstract. And he like lets out a yell that that is the music of the spheres, which against all mortal and maybe immortal spellcasters, it would like drown out all of their magic. This kind of like. A high wail of celestial cosmic power. Um, Nagash retaliates 
by putting his like he puts all of his fingers together in the classic evil pose and like bony limbs spring up around Selenor to like crush him. And Selenor's trying to fight it back. And then Nagash shoots purple fire out of his staff at Selenor, which Teclas deflects but uh, to protect himself. But the backlash hits Selenor. And Selenor has, it starts to like lose the battle against the skeletal limbs. He's getting crushed. His wings are getting pinned against his side. And he like pops out of uh, existence and becomes the moon again. So he retreats and he just becomes a moon in the sky. And Selenor is taken out of this fight. Uh, the next thing is, uh, oh, something we should note is Naga- it mentions that Nagash is powered by the Nadir. So he isn't just like a regular kind of god, part of the Sigmar's pantheon, pantheon. everybody's on an even like playing field. Nagash is kind of a step up right now. Yeah. He's like, he's done his great work and the entire of the, the entirety of the realms shifts death. Um, and he like has a, a tether to that realm as all realms do at this point. Um, and so Nagath begins with a psychic assault upon, uh, upon Teclis. He, he opens his little skeletal mouth and says the, these unfathomable words. And Teclis immediately imagines thousands of ways of being killed, eaten by bugs, burned alive, uh, dissolved to nothing, bathed in acid, dying in his bed. But um, <laughs> like all of it, and he knows if he like gives into the fear of one of them, it becomes a reality. Like that's the kind of the mental stakes we're playing with. Um, and so uh, Teclis goes into his mind, he meditates, he's super enlightened now, and uh, he like, you know, fears the mind killer, you know, let it pass through me. And then he shoots out blinding light in all directions. It hits Nagash, some of Nagash's spirits that are that have been like floating around him for a long time, banishes them, vaporize them. He also hits his books and Nagash, like any good nerd, loves his books and the bird books burst into flame. Nagash is furious. He lets out a scream to end the universe. The mountain is cracking. Teclas actually claps his hands against his ears. It's so loud. This is a god that has to like physically hold his ears to protect against this horrible scream. His, his, his ears are bleeding god blood. Um, and then so, blood. Yeah, yeah. And so Teclas like, oh, God, we got to get this guy out of here. He puts bubbles of light both around him and Nagash and transports them into the great void. So they were like totally out of Lumetrica. They're now in deep Age of Sigmar space, two floating bubbles. <laughs> Nagash is like, great, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. Uh, and he teleports into Teclas' bubble. And Teclas, and it mentions like Teclas looks like a little child compared to like kind of the monstrous skeletal form of Nagash. Um, Nagash swings his sword. Teclas' blocks with his sword. It's not enough. Nagash's sword is better. Teclas' blocks with his staff. He uses his eye beams, eye beams, hit Nagash. It's not enough. Nagash comes in with his staff, hits him in the side, starts to unmake him with the power of the Nadir. Teclas teleports them all back to uh, the mountain. And like the like, I guess time starts to move again. They're still fighting. We zoom in on the battle, the battle, uh, the battle on the ground. It says like with the gods so evenly matched, Although it seems like Teclas is getting the worst of yeah, it. Yeah, what? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, that like even a mortal could tip the balance. And so that's why like kind of what <laughs> what we're looking at now could matter uh, because, you know, they're, they are at least closely matched even if Nagash has the upper hand. I'm not on my second sheet of notes yet. Okay. <laughs> so like, so what's going on in the battle? 
the, the Illuminati are trying to climb up the mountain, get to the battle. Uh, the ghoul, there, there are ghouls there. They're also climbing over the the, the stone, the spirits, the Alarest spirits of the mountain. They're climbing all over them. There's not quite as many as you would think because of like the rebellion that happened uh, at Starfang Mount, Starfang Mount. Um, yeah, so there's not as quite as many. The Elementors are bashing them away. Uh, the Osirark re- legions like have their defenses. They're great, like kind of uh, uh, fortification builders. Um, but Nagash is like kind of plucking their souls away to like empower himself. And so their lines are being thinned and they're being further thin, thinned by the spirits of the wind. Um, those, those new Elementor models are starting to shoot them all down, the Mortisons, and they're not able to kind of keep up their, uh, their constructs. And so like the, the Luminath are starting to turn the tide on this battle. Then bam, settler humans come in, they bring their Luminarchs, And they, out of nowhere, they, they bring their lasers, they shoot Nagash in his torso, in his waist, in his dumb skeleton face. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're like, what was that? And it's like, oh, my God, it's the humans. They came. And they, there's like a portal leading to sh- Settler's game behind them. Um, and they're like, oh, and then and uh, and then uh, Teclas is like, like, uh, or it mentions that this was like the point of settling te- uh, settlers gain is so we would have them and this super weapon. We got even more lasers where that came from. There's a giant prison, a prism in settlers game at the top of a game at the top of a tower. That tower, you can just see it between the like two peaks in the mountain range. A laser shoots out of there, goes into the Luminarchs, gets focused there, and then hits Nagash in his dumb skull. So, like, we got we got a double laser action. Um, then, and then, like, that's the, the opening Teclas needed. Um, he takes all of the ether gems, not, not the ether gems? Ether quartz. Yeah. Uh, of all of the uh, Lumineth on the battlefield, all at once, turns it into chains of light, and then binds Nagash to the mountain after he was like, you know, set off balance by the laser attack, binds him to the mountain. Oh boy, good thing all of our giant goat hammer guys are here. They come in, they break all of Nagash's bones with their hammers. All he's all all he is is bone. And he's got nothing boom, left. Nagash, they take him down. Uh, you know, the, he, you know, they, some Luminous say they see a screaming, like a uh, kind of black ink ghost go flying back to uh, Shayesh, but like they break Nagash. They kill a god here. And uh, then to finish it off, uh, Teclas takes uh, the chain, what is left of the chains, uh, refashions all of the like kind of the ether course discs from all the Luminarchs, throws them up into the sky, makes a new rune there and uh, like a banishing rune and like, you know, with Nagash being all broken and this huge spell, like, breaks the Necroquake. And it says literally, the deathly curse of the Necroquake is broken forever. Forever. High. Oh, it's, that's it. Oh, man. I know that's going to be hard to edit, but I don't care. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> I got a question for you. What, do you need me to do it again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, oh God, I wasn't recording. <laughs> so when the gash got chained to the mountain, did he become a Skeletor? 
I mean, I'm familiar with the character Skeletor. Is that all the, is that the so joke? It's a skeleton. The gash is a skeleton, but Tor is the German word for mountain. Oh, son of a, okay. Nope. I can't say that. Um, <laughs> I was waiting to get an opportunity to say that if I had a hammer, I'd hammer and a gash in the morning. Um, <laughs> and he's gone. And that's it, guys. That's it. Nagash is dead. Throw your models away. Wicked, wicked Nagash is dead. Um, I, I, I just, I don't even know. I, I, I was a little stunned until then. I took a step back and realized he's a god and he'll be fine in the long run. But like it for the yeah. moment, uh, things are things are looking good. Also, like I said, I shocked. If you were getting tired of the Necroquake, here you go. You're welcome. It's over. Yeah. Thank Teclas. Um, uh, th- there will be far-reaching ramifications to this, I am sure. Uh, they killed Nagash in book two. <laughs> They're playing for keeps. Are they gonna? T- how are they gonna top that? Like, how are they gonna go they bigger are, than that? <laughs> they killed him. Yeah. Nagash is Nagon. Like, there ain't no Nagash anymore. That's a big model, right? I was like, oh man, Archon. I'm gonna have to like, you know, assemble Manfred. So Nagash. yeah, let's let's officially talk about what does this mean. Oh man, yeah. Or, or as a, what are y'all thoughts? Oh my goodness! Like, there is so much. Like, there is just so much to think about here. And can can I ask you guys some? Can, Paul, can I just ask you some questions? Yes. Do you think the the Shyesh Nadir is is done? I mean, or is that is that still a thing? I think that still has to be a thing, right? Because Nagash didn't control yeah. it; he made it happen. Right. Yeah. So I think the Nadir is still a thing that is going to happen. Okay. Uh, is the uh, is the Arcanum Optimar? Is that still in effect? For every other realm, yes. But for the Arcanum Optimar in the center of Nadish, I think our center of Shayesh, I think that also is in effect. So we're still going to see on afterworlds draining into the center. I think. And we're still going to see, like, because uh, these are, like, came with the Necroquake, right? Like, the uh, the the Endless Spells, that was kind of a, a side effect of the Necroquake. Yeah, I don't know if the Endless Spells are going to continue to be a thing, right? But the the perimeter inimical in Shayesh is no longer the outside of the realm, it's the inside of the realm. I don't think that's yeah. something that can be reversed. Okay. Right? So I think that the... Perimeter Emical is in the center of the realm for Shayesh now, which is, makes it different than all the other seven realms. But I don't think that the dead are going to have this immense power over all the other realms anymore, because mm-hmm. I think that was something that Nagash was managing to engineer, if that makes sense. And regardless of any of the lore background stuff, I think they're just going to, I think just mechanically, uh, they're just going to have that not be the like the the death rising up for no reason. I think they're just going to put a, a stop to that, Re- regardless of the lower reasons for why. I think they were just trying to like symbolize that, like, all right, well, now this this era is done. Yes. Um, who? What do you think? What is going to go? What is going to happen with death? So actually, let me let me let me ask you. If, so some listeners asked too. So I want to give them some credit uh, for where credit is due. Um, let me find a good one. So. Uh, the 25 year old thinker uh, asked, What direction will death take now that Nagash has been imprisoned in Shayesh? Which we haven't explicitly said, but I think that's some of the assumption we're making is that Nagash has rocketed off to, to Shayesh, just maybe lick his wounds or, you know, he's imprisoned in some way. Um, so uh, he asked that. And then one other person asked, um, Oh, yeah, Vel- Velocity Chapter then asked, um, 
Well, uh, let's let's talk about that first. Uh, these other questions are maybe more of a follow up. So, what direction will death take now that Nagash has been imp- imprisoned in Shaish? So, the really intriguing question here is: Was Nagash actually the god of death, or we see the god of undeath that took the power of the god of death? Right, that took the realm of death as his power. Because can you kill a realm? Right, because Nagash has been killed but he had the power of a realm behind him. Could you really kill a god that was born as the god of that realm? Because can you kill Teclis? Can you kill Tyrion? Can you actually kill Illyriel? Right? So I understand that Nagash is not dead because he's a necromancer. He's supposed to be raised again. Yeah. Right? But and, he, this, and he's been killed before. Correct. But this feels like a big deal that we've lost the god of the dead. And as the point that I would be making for, you know, years is that he keeps being called the God of undeath or the God of death or kind of both. So in the old world, right, you had these incarnates. So Nagash was the incarnate of death, but then he didn't become automatically the God of death. He had to conquer the realm of death and gain the power of the realm of death. So why is that the way that it worked? It would have made sense for him to just be the god of death, but he's not. So I think it really leaves space for a lot of other things to happen. And because all of these things happen concurrently, I think time has passed from the beginning of Broken Realms Techlist to the end, right? I think we all agree that time has changed because people learn things, armies fight battles different ways, but it leaves it open for all kinds of people to be able to assume this title. And one of the like hot takes that I think is it's possible for Bellacor to forsake the chaos gods and to grasp the power that is literally sitting there waiting in the realm of Shayesh. What if Bellacor were to be able to take the realm of the magic of Amethyst and to use that to try and take on Archaon? What if that was a thing, Right. What about Kragnos? Like, there's so much to ask here. No chance. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Paul, I think you're on to something um, with the, like, the gods are not the realms. They are often aligned with realms, but, like, Teclis and Tyrion commune with Hish, right? Like, the, and, and the Hish, Hish, I think, is the most personified of all the realms, um, but they all seem to be a separate entity from the gods that the realms were there before the gods. I was just going to say, yeah, they predate the gods. Uh, Yeah. So I think the realms are different. And I think, and we're going to maybe get to this a little later. I think the realms are about to be, have more agency um, coming up. But Aaron, you were going to add something. No, I was just going to say, yeah, and you, I think you made the point I was going to make in that like the God or um, the realms predate the gods. And now I don't, I personally don't think that Nagash is going to be replaced, but it, it also doesn't mean that he's in, in, he's not invincible, right? And that um, he can fall same similarly to mortals, but maybe not in the in the same in the same way. Um, and that was all, basically all I was going to say. Uh, there are so I, that's generally we're talking about realms and like cosmic ideas. What do you think on on more of a ground level? Um, what 
lies in 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 store for the the faction like the grand alliance uh, of death i'll ask some listener questions here uh so um Velosa chapter asked uh will catacross sense that nagash uh is gonzo and return to shyish to consolidate power and also asked uh do you think the death will become a free-for-all or will catacross and olinder align um so those are just prompts for grand alliance death sort of questions ruminations so to go back to the beginning of the book, when they went to the Gashazar, Catacros and Olinder were not present in the mirrors. And they weren't present in this story. So do they know that Nagash is gone? I don't know that that's a yes. Because they didn't know what Nagash was up to. So I, I don't think that that's something that we can say for sure will happen, right? Catacros is the best general, right? But Archon is gone. Not just Nagash, but Archon. Like, there is no direction left for death. Because yeah. Neferata does whatever the hell she wants. Same thing with Manfred. Catacross is just like, I'm just going to go kill stuff. And Lady Olinder, like, the real question is, is the curse of Nagash's magic still a thing? Is Lady Olinder still the Queen of Sorrow? Or has she earned some freedom from that forever punishment? Is Catacross still punished to do this thing? Or is he free? Is Manfred able to be Manfred again? Like, that is the real question here. Not even necessarily who's in charge, but are they still under the curse? So, these are, like, definitely, like the right questions my my uh, my answers are nagash is still there he was laid low by archeon before and kind of nagash's empire persisted although incredibly weakened i think we're going to see something similar where all of the agents have more agency there's nobody to like unite death anymore especially a great point archeon's gone too he's like nagash's number two the most loyal of his servants Catacross we don't know about, Oleander we don't know about. The vampires are just going to do their own thing. I think vampire civil war is like what we're, is like kind of what we've already seen. Like they were already like in a cold war. I think that war will get hot. And we can see that with Manfred's invasion of Neferata's territory. And I guess that we're going to hear more of this intrigue and infighting in the Grave Lord's book like i think and it's it's i think nagash is still going to be like the overarching scaffolding but there's going to be more room for infighting with him laid low as such but here's the thing right nagash is laid low but who always brought him back his Archon. no it wasn't his mortarks it was archon well yeah archon is gone so who's going to bring him back? Is Manfred going to get all the trouble of trying to resurrect Nagash? No, he's busy. Is Neferata I mean, going to go to the trouble of trying to resurrect Nagash? I, I hate to I hate to talk in the meta, but the both of those the both of those models have new plastic miniatures. They're going to get back into the story. Well, so yeah, like it is going to be a thing, right? Even if the timeline has to move forward 100, 500, 1,000 years, right? Like, which is possible. Yeah. Like, this is the thing, is we can literally make things happen, right? So those miniatures are great, right? Um, 
those miniatures will probably, like, they're going to have rules no matter what. Even if the lore kills them off, they're still going to be a thing, right? Like, yes, I might assemble Manfred instead of Archon because I really like the lore, but it's not like the Null Myriad is going to go away. It's in Osiric Bone Reaper's Battle Tome. It's going to be a thing. Archon is still going to be as powerful as he was, right? But if we can kill a god in the lore, but keep it in the rules, we can kind of do anything, right? When we killed Anvilgard, that was like, oh, this is kind of a big deal, right? We made Marathi a god. Well, it kind of made sense. She had too many natures anyway, right? But killing Archon and killing Nagash is, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. What happens now? We don't have any map for what happens now. And if Nagash can get dropped, I wonder if Marathi can get dropped too. Um, just as uh, a, an additional uh. thought, um, <laughs> I think I think they made explicit references uh, when Nagash was beat by, by Archeon initially that like the Mortarks had more autonomy because Nagash was just looking at his wounds in the, his secret place to get or whatever it was called. So I wonder, I, I, we've already sort of alluded to it, but I think that will probably be the definitive impetus to drive that vampire um, like civil war. Like because of that, we're going to get a... Uh, a little more autonomy, probably from all all the different fractions, and I think that opens up stories that we can that we can tell if everyone isn't directly under of the bony thumb um, of Nagash. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of gods, this is not a segue at all, but uh, we had <laughs> alluded to um, Alarial getting some cryptic quips. Uh, in throughout this story, and sorry, we didn't necessarily call this out, but they're sort of peppered across the timeline of the book that we we're reading. But I really wanted to talk about that, and I think you guys did too. Yeah, um, I had. Four did you have? Quotes. Did you guys have any favorite uh, favorite mysterious utterings uh, from Malarial that you 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 ought to that you think we ought to talk about here? So, Paven, I had four from the first one. Um, Go for it. All right. So, number one, the realms themselves are awakening, and they are most puissant of all. My agents work to guide their wrath. Are god beasts now like the red-headed stepchild? Are the realms themselves going to start taking charge? Like, how do we... I, I don't even understand how that would be a thing. But that's what it seems to be headed towards, right? If we're talking about broken realms, and the realms themselves are actually having agency, well, crap. Anything is possible. Hope you're on the realm side. Hope, um, hope you're not going around calling yourself a realm lord because they might take offense to that. Exactly. Uh, number two, Alariel quote, even now there's a traitor within your ranks to Teclas. Who is the traitor? What are his ranks? Is that the Lumineth? Is that the Pantheon? Right? Like, his ranks are so new that we as like the audience don't even know who his ranks are like at this point like I don't know his people well enough to even care. I mean I care but like to even like have a vested interest as to who his traitor is at this point um though, and yet I still cannot wait till I find out who it is yeah number three quote you realize you go to the dragon is what Illyriel says to Teclas wait is Teclas messing with Dracothian I don't- a literal god beast oh crap Who's the dragon, and what is Teclas yeah. doing to mess with them? Like, yeah, like it's a freaking dragon, man. Leave it alone. Let a sleeping dragon lie. The, I think the most obvious way to read this, and I don't, it might not be correct, but is to assume this is Nagash, um, because this is happening early in the story where he had just inv- invaded Shayesh, 
Um, so like he is, cause he is literally goading Sayas. So he will invade the realm of light. So, uh, Teclis can smite him down. Like the only way Teclis wins that fight is on his own turf. And that's kind of, I think Teclis's overarching plan in this book isn't to win a, you know, a few victories in Shayesh to like, you know, win hearts and minds. It, his game is to kill Nagash so he can undo the Necroquake. Dang it. You might be right though. And I, now, now that you say that, I, I actually kind of believe you. However, goading the dragon is such a weird way to phrase that. Like, if that were like a colloquialism that we all knew, I guess. But like, dragon and Nagash don't go together per se. But maybe, but maybe it's a, a turn of phrase that they use all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one interpretation. Ariel is speaking in in riddles, like kind of specifically in these sections. Yeah. The, to, to tease us, to taunt us. Yeah, us I podcasters. One. I got so, one just, more thought. Well, just just he, the fact that Teclas follows it up with, she says, "You realize that you go the dragon." He says, "I do." Yet, where Hish can take the punishment, Shayish cannot. That almost that I think maybe does clarify that it seems like Nagash is who he's talking about. I wish it was a real dragon, though. That'd be more fun. Well, or he can say Hish can take the punishment from Dracothian, right? Of the Azirite com- comets, which has been a thing that has happened, right? Yeah. Okay. Hish yeah. Yes. Clearly, take it. Right, because it's the realm of shadow. Yeah, but there are no comments. Like this, that doesn't have anything. Uh, anyways, what's anyway, your next quote? Number four. Quote: Then follow your blind man's path, is what Illyrio says to Teclas. Right? Who is this blind man? Is this blind man Tyrion? Is this blind man Eltherion? Or is this blind man someone else? Right? But if the blind man is Eltherion, right? Follow the blind man's path. He goes to kill Archon. Is that bad? Is Illyrio saying? you really shouldn't kill Archon because we kind of need him for our plan, right? Or is she talking about Tyrion and being like, dude, he just went to the pit of Cathardia and he's going to go confront this really bad guy that you've decided is really important, but you've already said that he's more powerful than Nagash. Crap. What do we do now? We can barely handle Nagash. Why are you going after somebody with more power than Nagash? This is bad, right? Or someone else is there somebody else like are you talking about sigmar and you're like he's blind because he's up in the heavens and he doesn't realize what's going on right or is he talking about mazda mundi right who's literally a blind man he's wrapped as a mummy he has no eyes oh you mean lord croak lord croak yeah lord croak sorry yeah like who are we talking about it could be anybody he's not talking about lord croak why not i mean he's blind right he's got yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the again, uh, the straightforward reading is she is speaking in metaphor. Like you are, like you are, you are behaving as a person without vision. You are, you are heading into the unknown, and you're going to get your, you know, you're 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 following a path, and you don't know where it leads. Yeah, this um, one I don't, I don't know that she's talking about a particular blind person. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about Tyrion. Um, you can also think about the other kind of folks that uh, Paul's describing. Um, yeah, it's hard to figure out what if she's referring to somebody specific. Sure. But she has other really good ones that I don't really think you need to stretch to think that she's, she's being particularly um, poignant. Um, in a later conversation, uh, she talks about, uh, he's talking about like the necessity, Teclis is talking about the necessity of the things that he had done it with, with Olerio. And so this uh, is post, this is post the, the smashing of the gap. Yeah. Yeah. A much, a much later conversation towards the end right. where um, she says uh, there's going to, there will be a backlash and he says of hope of progress of perhaps enlightenment as he's sort of getting like full of himself. And she's like of life. 
excuse oh excuse me Alariel, like you have some thoughts the point being is that like death and life are a cycle as nurgle would probably tell you about um and where death wanes life is there to sort of take its its place um i th- i think this is a definitive uh reference to th- of things to come and a hint that uh life is going to i mean whether immediately in broken realms or soon thereafter um is going to be ascendant and we're going to see some interesting things come out of uh gyran like Karnathi? Like Karnathi? Is that what you're It's my favorite. Oh, because of it, it's related, she um, she says something to the effect of, um, yeah, she goes, uh, just later in the conversation, she says that she had, I have more ways to fight them than you realize. Do tell, Alario, I would love to, I would love to hear more about your ways uh, that you have to fight these people. So I think she's allude or you know reference referencing the fact that she has things in reserve she has secrets that have yet to be revealed basically her own guy ran equivalent of another stormcast chamber that she's going to slam the button on and let loose uh, on the realms to just quickly talk about like kind of the the conversation that they're having on the top level is like uh Teclis is defending his like bold action to kill a god and uh, ariel is kind of of the position like Hey, like all things in time, Nagash would have would have like kind of burnt himself out regardless of your intervention. Do you really have to force it now? And Teclas being kind of a man of action and, you know, is going to go down trying says like it's necessary now. You know, we need to act while we still can. Like, you know, it isn't inevitable that like the cycle will turn while Ariel is in position like everything turns. Um, and like when things turn, we need to be careful, right? She mentions the realms uh, awakening. She mentions like kind of her her like the the power of life, um, which is her power, but it's also the power of Nurgle. And like kind of the, if the power of the realm is more broad, and she is not the realm of life, she is just the a god a god in it. Um, like, what does that mean? What are those additional forces? What are the what is this awakening of the realms? And I think at this point I'm gonna kind of here's my prediction is with this broken realm series. Are we ready for it or no? Oh, no, I was I was gonna say uh, here on the moral realms we call them scries. So oh, oh excuse me, here's my scry. Here's my scry. That's my fault. Um, with the broken realms uh, series, we are gonna see the realms themselves reacting to kind of the hell wrought upon them by chaos, by death, by the forces of order. Like the, you think of the Illumineth and the, um, the kind of their, their, their time when they ruined Hish, I forget what it's called. And so the realms are going to awaken and they are going to exert their will. And it's going to be, and here's the scry part. It's going to be like, all right, we need to activate the, the realms immune system. To like purge all of these, uh, like all of these bad elements to like restabilize ourselves um, because of all the damage that's been done. Um, and so, how they're going to do this? Destruction faction. Yeah. Destruction is going to roll through and like purge chaos and death and civilization wholeheartedly to kind of like reduce the realms to like kind of a clean, pristine state. And that's what we're going to get in Age of Sigmar 3. We're going to get a new destruction faction that is like kind of the realm's awakening. We're going to give like destruction a more like cosmic purpose, which is like a a global reset. 
And yeah. that, that's, that's what, what destruction is for. It's not like the cycle of death where like everything dies or chaos where everything corrupts. Destruction is just going to like purge everything so like the lands itself can rebuild. Yeah, I like your or like the immune system like uh, sort of parallel. Um, it also is the Okari Dara is the is the old. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I said. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I'll splice this in. Um, uh, I, I I see that happening. That, se- that seems to make uh, a lot of sense. Um, oh God, what was I guess I hung up on the Okari Dara? I forgot to say. Oh, um, it it I, I don't want to go too far back, but I, I, someone was referencing, or I think Pavan, you were talking about how Teclas is, is really full of himself, a man of action, because he seemed to have a sense of urgency, like he needed to take care of this Nagash problem sooner rather than later, because it was going to complicate some future problem that was also going to have to, was going to come up sort of after the fact. It was because of this necroquake and the uh, um, Arcanum Optimar was throwing things out of whack such that it was going to lessen his ability to like defend the realms uh, as necessary. He made, I, I got the impression that he was just talking about the inevitability of Selnash breaking free, which I think maybe they allude to at some point too, but there may be much larger cosmic uh, problems um, in play than just Slanesh, which is crazy to think that there's something more problematic than slanesh breaking free well, but um, we got we got like two more books and yeah. neither of those are like mortal realm slanesh or yeah. broken realm slanesh. like we got we're you know i don't know what's gonna happen that's so, true Paul, got, tell me what's gonna happen i got two more quotes here right so Illyriel says how lucky for us that you luminous have so clearly overcome your own pride to which techless refrains are like oh yeah of course we totally have Right when the problem with Nagash was he was too prideful, as Tekla says, right? Yeah, which is a fun it, little thing. Yeah, it also mentions that Tekla is specifically being obtuse here to like yep. play into the joke, but it is it is cute. Yeah, <laughs> their, little, their little relationship is adorable. And then quote, yeah, they know each other from, from the before times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us hope that you are right, said Illyriel. And if we are found wanting, let us hope that the realms themselves will hear from their wounds. So let us go forward together, said Teclas, locking eyes with her once more. He heard a thin, echoing scream in the void and found his gaze drawn to the distant glimmer of Ulgish. Together there is nothing our pantheon cannot achieve. He's talking to Alariel, and he's looking at Slanesh, but Alariel did not trap Slanesh. It was Teclas and Tyrion and Marathi and Malarian. What is this pantheon that he speaks of with Alariel? It's got to be the Elven Pantheon. So is Illyriel now part of the Elven Pantheon? That's where the question goes. Has she replaced Marathi? Or are there now five? Hmm. That's the question. He's including her in a conversation that she's never been included in before. It's interesting. Yeah, I'd be curious to see where that goes. Um, you read that quote, and actually, my attention was drawn to a different part that you you don't you didn't bring up. So he looked and he heard a scream from the gloaming. Was that the scream from when like Slanesh was like kicking out the the child or whatever? Like when yeah. the it's all, does that all happen? Does that line up? Yeah, it's all happening at once. Totally, I agree. Which Nailed. yeah, okay. I wonder if it if that's the case, then that makes a lot of sense. I I, I buy that. Yeah, I, sorry, that reminded me of another thing. Um, it seems like in this passage that Teclis is also like haunted by Nagash in a way. Like he seems to like think about it more than he expects. And he thinks about Nagash's face and his sword and his staff and like how c- close Nagash was to killing him like the god of death. 
And so that I think there's going to be a lingering price techless pays for laying the gash low. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that'd be good to see. It adds a certain like element to it would add a certain element to his character that like is kind of one dimensional currently. I mean, yeah, you have to like do more with these God characters uh, yeah. to give them weaknesses and frailties to make them like, well, actually that's, that's true because throughout this book, techless, I wouldn't say, I mean, other than he's going to, fairly sure of himself but it ends up paying off but like i don't what what weakness does he have like he he, he wins everything he that he's done no he just like shows up and, and kicks butt yeah so i i would i would like to give him some more facet you know so and maybe he, he will, will be constantly haunted by this you know nagash thing well, this, so interesting this goes back to a thought that i had when we originally did the lumina battle tome which is that Tyrion was the first one to appear in hish Teclas only appeared when Tyrion went and sought him out, right? So they are twins, and they are the gods of light. But Tyrion was the first, and it cost Tyrion something to get Teclas there, which it cost him his sight, right? But Tyrion also cleaved to Elariel in the end times and cleaved to her before. So are we going to see a separation of the twins, Right? Is is Teclas going to go off and do his own thing? Is like, is because Teclas was dead, right? They're all dead. But is Teclas communing with the moon going to? Is he going to start taking over the realm of death? Is that what they're saying when they're talking about the cycle of life, the cycle of? I mean, it, it's a vacuum, right? Power abhors or nature abhors a vacuum. Who's going to fill that space? Yeah, uh, listen, listeners, if you're if you're uh, you can't see this, but Aaron is shaking his head now, right? yeah, constantly. <laughs> anyway, I forgot. I forgot. Paven could see it. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so we've got a, a few more questions we want to get through. So let's 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 bring up some more of them. Um, I will point out that 25 year old thinker also had asked, uh, wh- who do we think? Uh, who do we think the being Tyrion is off fighting as more of a threat than Nagash? I think we talked about that one. I just wanted to reference that he that he asked. Um, well, wait, wait, who do you guys think it is? Do, I think it's Bellacor. You think he's fighting Bellacor? It's the pits of Cathardia. It's the shadow, like the, the so the pits of Cathardia is the place that touches the realm of shadow. Yeah, right. And Bellacor is the shadow demon. That's the name of the next book too. It is the name of the next book too. Oh, Paven, did you did you have a, a guess? It could be Malarion. Mm-hmm. Um, although that doesn't seem to be heated up or kind of something we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He could be fighting against baby Slanesh. I don't know. We know nothing about Craig knows. It could be the newborn, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I have any guesses. I, th- I would think maybe the forces of Slanesh or, cause maybe they're running interfit. Cause like, right. Cause um, a lot of the Slanesh dudes uh, were flocking towards, like the realm of shadow, but he's not allowed in the realm of shadow. So maybe not. I don't know. That's, I, I still, I don't know that this book has made it any more clear to me. Yeah. It's, it's hard to think about who could be more dangerous than Nagash besides maybe the gods of chaos. I would, I would think chaos God. That's where your mind goes immediately is like, who, who, cause that seems to be a tier above a, a realm, a realm. If he's just fighting corn. Yeah. yeah. Do we learn anything new about the newborn? Do we have any more clue of like, what do we think the newborn is going to be? Is the newborn uh, going to be the new God of death? Is there going to be a chaos you, god? Of- no, okay, come on. I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, so uh, another question was from Hickox. Hickox twelve. I'm I'm going through the ones that I think maybe we touched on already. Uh, so having read this techless book, does it give you any spicy predictions, also known as scries, uh, for interesting directions that they could take the Soul Blight Grave Lords book? And so I I was thinking that with Nagash being laid low, it offers a lot more autonomy and freedom on the vampire front for Neferata and Manfred to get be at each other's throats. What they're vampires, that's where they go. Um, and that is going to be the, the impetus for like the vampire civil war. I think you guys were saying something similar. Do you have anything else to add to that question? Well, all the vampires that we have seen so far for this Grave Village release are all from Ulfenkarn. Right? And Ulfenkarn is the location of the Cursed City. So we've seen Radikar, we've seen the Rat Prince, and then we've seen this like Mosquito Soul Drinker character. Um, and those seem to correspond to the releases that are coming with the Soulblight Dreadlords release. Uh, we're getting a re-release of new sculpts of the skeletons that are in Cursed City. We're getting a re-release of new sculpts of the zombies that are in Cursed City. We know that for sure, right? So is Ulfenkarn going to be where we see the new death play out? Is it going to be Neferata through her agents versus Manfred? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it seems that at very least is the central focal point, and maybe any it may expand beyond there, but it doesn't does seem to be a place to start. Um, so I, I bet you there's some truth to that. I think we kind of talked about, uh, maybe not really, but um, Mechboard Gray Heresy asked, uh, as a general question, do we think that the Broken Realms will eventually hit on every faction with rules and or boxes, or will some be ignored? So we're kind of shifting gears a little bit here, but at the rate things are going, do you expect that everybody's going to be uh, touched on? I personally feel like yes, but I'll expand later if you guys want to answer first. Uh, my answer is no. I don't think there'll be enough books, and there are too many factions. Uh, so somebody, somebody's going to get met next. I they I feel like Nurgle's rules were pretty. They played a very minor role in this book, and they got a new battalion and a couple new roar scrolls. So I think there's good, they're going to try to touch as many people as they can. I just don't think everybody's going to get touched. How many uh, have there been in each book? Has there been like four like battalions four. in each one? So four a. Four, four factions in each There's four box sets, yeah. So on like, so if it averaged out for the four books, so we know 16 factions out of the, what, like 24 that we have or something, 24, 25? Um, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe we'll we fall short. We also have Illumineth that wasn't a box set, but is a release during Broken Realm, so technically we're at nine right now. Yeah, okay. I bet you will get close. We know we're getting right? Soulblight, right? We know we're getting Soulblight as well, so that might be a 10th or, you know, like, so... I think we will get something for every battle tone, right? Um, whether it be a model release or a rule release, I think we will get something. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think there might be five books, but I don't know. There might be a fifth one. Yeah, I actually, you know, you guys convinced me. I think they'll try to give it every every battle tome like a little bit of love. Sure. And And, and all I'm saying is, the equivalent of their Nurgle love in this book, like just a small nominal uh, piece. Like the fact that they went to the trouble of reprinting, not reprinting, um, making a new battle tome for every single army last year. Like they were trying to do it all in 2020 or something like that. The fact that they're cognizant of completion doesn't mean they're always going to be. In fact, they probably 
it's, it's slim chances that they will continue to be. But like the fact that I know they're aware of that concept makes me think that maybe they'll try to do something similar in these books. And they try to do the same thing with 40K and Psychic Awakening. I think they got almost all factions, but not every single one. Okay. And then they'll try their best. Uh, I feel like this question is related, actually, abstractly, um, by Klaus M.A. Um, so with two books from the series now, do you have a clearer sense of what broken realms sign or what broken realms signify or or mean? Like the the, the idea of what broken realms means. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this goes to my like scry, which is like the realms themselves are going to become actors, and this is going to kind of launch a new era of Age of Sigmar. Um, with kind, of, yeah, I think it's going to be like the broken realms are going to result in like destruction trying to cleanse everybody off the, off the, off the little discs. Okay. Random. Um, I think it means nothing is off the table. Does we have a clear sense? Yeah. Nothing is off the table. We can destroy cities. We can kill gods. We can kill models, whatever they feel like doing. That's what's going to happen. We know to uh, expect the unexpected. Uh, my only thought is maybe, and this isn't related to the broken part of this specifically, but I, I kind of agree with Paven, but um, furthermore, I would say that I feel like I have a less of an idea of what these books are trying to do after reading this one. I would have expected uh, that this book would have been a sequel to the first one. So Teclis is sequel to, to Marathi. And the fact that these are almost utterly unrelated um, threw me for a loop. And I don't, maybe I, it bothered me initially, but I feel like now I don't, I don't mind as much. But because of that, to relate to Paul's answer, it just goes to show that I don't know where the next one will go. Like, I don't know timeline-wise, direction-wise, focus, like, will it be related, will it not? I don't know, even know the inner connectedness of this story. And where I would have thought the Realm Gate, you know, compared to the Realm Gate Wars, which collectively is all nominally about this overarching, you know, campaign to reclaim these Realm Gates, I, I don't see an interconnected thread yet. Um, I wonder if there ever will be one, and if so, what it, what it will look like. So I would say that I maybe know less what the Broken Realms is than I did before. And I want to say, like, how great it is. Uh, I, I like love being in, like, new territory. Like, it's wrapping up things way faster than I thought it would. It's, like, pulling on threads we knew about and then going off in new directions. Like, Teclas v. Nagash isn't something we ever had on our radar, radar as, like, kind of the next thing the Mortal Realms was doing. Like, we knew... We knew about um, the city of uh, Excelsis. We knew about, um, you know, Slanesh, what's going to happen to him. Um, you know, Marathi, uh, kind of. Um, but, like, kind of, like, the, the, you know, what, what is happening and what they're alluding to in this book is, like, w way brand new. And it seems like it's going to go, it's moving faster and more mm -hmm. unpredictably. And that's super fun and cool. Yeah, I agree. Um we, I feel like we've been dancing around this one a little bit from uh, Sever Elon, um, but he wants to know how will the effects or the events of the books affect the citizens of the realms as a whole, and how do we feel about uh, the book and its effects on the moral realms? And so, I'll 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 phrase it for my I'll, I'll just jump in. I'll phrase my answer here in that I am excited that the Necroquake is over. Not that I disliked it. In fact, I liked it. It was a very cool little storyline, but it's been sort of sitting here and sort of the direct ramifications of it. For, for a while and I, i've been looking forward to like enter this new age not literally an age because it's always the age of sigmar but whatever the the next thing is and so asking how i feel about this is i'm glad that it seems to have definitively closed that chapter 
and moved on to the next one, which I guess maybe shows, uh, introduces the necessity of this story to do so, to, cl- to close that chapter. And Marathi didn't necessarily do that. It had nothing to do with the Necroquake uh, for the most part. Um, whereas this one is a, is a, the slamming of the book a little bit or the destruction of a Nagash book flying around him. Um, and for that, I appreciate it. Um, so that's where I'm at. Where, how, how, what do you guys react to this question? So we have a God that will not respond to prayers. So especially like the God of death, which is kind of a big deal for a place where your belief can make your God appear. Right. Um, So like to me, to the everyday citizen, I feel like there actually might be a change, whether or not that's going to filter down that Nagash is dead or just people are going to stop being scared about death. Like what would that mean for the realms if death was no longer the end? Right. Because Nagash is the God of death and then you die and you go to an underworld, but then your underworld is conquered by Nagash. Well, Nagash is no longer there. If those powers are retreating, right? Like you can look forward to death to go live in your version of heaven, right? What happens to all the gods that Nagash has consumed now that Nagash is dead? Do they come back? Do they go back into the realms? Like, what happened? Because Nagash's play-by-play was, I'm going to go take this underworld, I'm going to consume you, and I'm going to take your power. Well, guess what? He doesn't have it anymore. Where does that go? Like, what happened to the Lumineth's souls that were burned by the Lumineth trying to avoid the Bone Reapers? Do they go to an afterlife? Do they go to this purgatory? Where have they gone? What happened to the souls that were drawn into the Nadir? Nobody's left to take them anymore. Is that going to be a bomb? Like a giant soul stuff bomb that just keeps sucking in more and more souls until it just becomes too much? Like, what happens? We, we don't have any idea. Like, we finally had a solid idea of this is how the realms work. Well, guess what? We just took out one eighth of that. What the hell happens now? Just as soon as you get used to it, as soon as you get comfy, they pull yeah. the, the cushion out from underneath you. I do find it interesting. I, I really like that idea, and I do find it interesting that um, they set up this premise that the uh, the realms of death is full of a bunch of underworlds and people's souls go there. But then almost immediately, they're like, "Oh yeah, but by the way, they're all getting sucked up." So we don't ever, we never really, as as an audience member, got to really get comfortable with it's it's basic like setting like what, what it was supposed to be work like how it was supposed to be working it as soon as we got introduced to the underworlds they were already being corrupted by nagash and we never got to see the the, the place working as designed and so maybe it's an op- now is an opportunity to really get a look at um shayish as the way it's it working is the way it's supposed to um and you know explore the stories that can take place there uh, though the fact that the Nadir is probably still going on probably throws that for a loop. But anyway, anyways, let's, let's see what stories can come out of um, the realm of death now that Nagash isn't as present a, a, a force from here. Paven, any thoughts? Yeah, there's probably less ghosts around to deal with. Like ghosts are a big problem. For, Thank like, goodness. For a 
know. So like maybe there'll be less ghosts. Just uh, just a notable uh, lessening of the ghost problem, as if the Ghostbusters had been there. All right, uh, let's do a last one from uh, Thundercake, friend of the show, and also running the Mortal Realms book club out of our Discord, which is a very cool thing. He wants me to. He wants us to tell him more about Zintel. There's got to be something good in there, and so Zintel is the center, like kingdom or. Uh, city-state or whatever uh, of Continent. the realm of Hish. So that's where Settler's Gain is. Did we learn much about Zintel as a whole? Like there's the mage, like the human mage people there. I don't know if there's much else beyond what we talked about, unless you guys have something. I mean, we have a city of Sigmar now in Hish, which is super cool. What more do you want? Um, we got a Broken Realm short story about Settler's Gain, which is also cool. Um, but as far as like modeling opportunities or conversion opportunities. Um, I guess you could use some Lumineth bits to add to your free guild because they did mention them specifically like acting like the Lumineth, even though they're not quite as strong. So like that could be a cool thing to like reinforce that. Um, it is cool to know, like, to me, what they did is they're like, oh, BT dubs, we're going to roll in the way that Teclas worked with humans in the old world into this new world. So, like, you can take the College of Magic, which we had in, you know, Altdorf or whatever in the old world. Well, yeah, we have that now, but it's instead of this game, right? Like, you can take the Tower of Hoth that we had in the old world, but now it's in a different place, but it's in, it's in Hish, right? Like, we can start transplanting those old ideas from the old world into the mortal realms. And they make sense because Teclas is acting the way that Teclas always acted. Right? He hasn't lost the, I want to educate humans. He hasn't lost the, I want to teach people. Right? Um, and so I think one of the questions I have has nothing to do with Zintel, but has to do with Teclas is... Teclas has always been known for like having these great ideas and these poor execution and just like messes something up. So what's the thing that Teclas messed up? Because there's nothing explicitly stated, right? But is the power vacuum in Shayish going to throw everything off? Because that's kind of what Illyriel alluded to. Yeah. So Zintol, uh, we 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 get a lot of information about settlers' gain uh, from here, like the city, how it works, how we could imagine other cities in Hish working. Uh, probably their relationship to the elves is is it very important because the elves are the dominant power in Hish. Um, so, kind of any of the human nations within that continent have to deal with that in one way or the other. Uh, but as as uh, y'all have mentioned, there isn't a lot of information outside of Settlers' Gain specifically, the new city, about like what you know, what trade is there, what other nations are there. I didn't even pick up like any specific like throwaway lines that we sometimes get. Yeah, not not yet myself either. And I've just started reading the Lumineth Battle Tome, so I don't know if there's anything interesting in there yet. But it doesn't matter. This is an Lumineth Battle Tome review. Um, so that's where we're at, Thundercake. Um, I've been jumping around through listener questions. Did you guys have any other points you wanted to make independent of the listeners? All right, cool. Uh, then let's do our take. Let's let's give a, an honest, heartfelt impression of this book. Paul, what did you think of it? I, I love this book. Um, I liked it a lot more than I liked Marathi. 
God. I liked it. Like it, it fixed the problems that I actually had with the Slanesh Battle Tome as well. I wasn't super like enthralled with the new art, the new etc. But like, right, like I'm gonna hold up this book and you guys can't see me, but like this book is much larger than Broken Realms Marathi. Um, I like it because I love the story, um, which is cool. Here, see, uh, <laughs> I believe you. I don't. I don't have both of them on me. So okay, right, so yeah. There's a significant difference in width, but I liked it because. Um, I thought the story was more impactful. I thought it did a lot more interesting things that I was surprised by. But the other thing that it really did that I loved is that it introduced all the new units in the Lumineth, and then you get the half of the Lumineth Battle Tome in this book too, which I thought was really cool because every single unit is a new unit, right? But then in the actual lore for Broken Realms, it goes through and gives that unit a reason for existing. And because they had almost 70 pages of lore to write, it actually felt like they made sense. And it didn't feel like, oh, they're sticking in this new thing to do this thing as much as it normally has, right? Which is crazy with how many kits that they released. And because that's this much new lore, right? So you got 70 pages of just straight up broken realms. But then you got like another 20 pages of just like Lumineth, new stuff we've never seen before and explanations for how this stuff works. Like this takes days to read through, which is like super awesome of all brand new lore. I never knew and never read about before in Age of Sigmar, like super cool. I highly recommend that book for sure. It takes days to read, which is why it took us this long to do our episode on it no that's not true it's because i take forever to read uh Pavin, what'd you think of the book uh i think the Bro- borkum realms series is my favorite books that games workshop has published um, i think they have a really fun combination of plot development satisfying narrative uh they avoid a lot of the I don't know, pitfalls they have in their writing where it feels like a comic book where, you know, there's high action, but no stakes and everybody in like the status quo is always maintained, which happens in, in other publications I've read. I'm like, everything has consequences. It excites the imagination. It's got a lot of fun rules in it. Like it meaningfully changes armies and expands what you can do hobby wise with it. And I enjoyed the hell out of reading these and was shocked in both in reading both of them and this one in particular. Like, I wasn't going to do this episode. Um, and then, like, last night, I, they started, like, busting Nagash's bones with big hammers. And I'm like, what the F? And then I, like, messaged uh, Aaron. I'm like, Aaron, are you guys recording this episode soon? Uh, and he's like, we're doing it tonight. And I'm like, come in. And then I, uh, you know, spent part of my work day <laughs> just trying to add the, the show notes. Um, so, yeah, I think these, uh, yeah, these are, uh, if you like the lore, um, which I really hope you do if you're listening to this show. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> There's just some like, you know, hyper competitive, like uh, masochist that is just like, you know, listen. It's like uh, any edge they can. Yeah. 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 Give me a match uh, play something. No, no, we will not. I don't even send the match play rules or the match play 
segments out. Um, so yeah, it's great. I love it. Right on. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with you that the Broken Realm so far has been my favorite thing in like the favorite books in Age of Sigmar. They um, r- remind me of the, the End Times books, which were, I mean, a lot of people didn't like them. I particularly like them in, in the old world because of that. <laughs> you want to talk about stakes. Uh, there you go. Um, it, they also remind me in that it seems like sometimes there were some very disjointed stories across that continuum that ended up being not disjointed, but actually very related to the topic at hand. It just didn't necessarily become incredibly clear until like you got deeper into the storyline. So I'm wondering if that the case in these broken realm stories is that the through line isn't apparent yet, but it will be as we get deeper into the the tale. Um, because they, I think they do remind me of those, the, those campaign books and I are doing, a much better job than the Roman Gate Wars ever ever did, which is interesting that they went so very quickly from End Times to Rome Gate Wars and didn't seem to learn any of the previous lessons. Um, so I'm all for it on that regard. I liked Marathi just a little bit more. I liked it a lot more before we sat here and talked about this, but as we've discussed, as most things, whenever we do an episode about something, by the end of the episode, I've, I grow to like whatever we were just talking about. So I think I, it, this book has grown on me, especially to hear your guys' enthusiasm about it. It's infectious. I love to hear it. Um, it the reason I didn't like this one maybe as much is because it seemed like there was a lot of just like the Lumineth first Bone Reaper back and forth, back and forth, like the classic warhammer thing where it's just like oh no we're winning nope no we're winning nope watch this this came out of nowhere now we're winning it happened multiple times such that i started to notice it happening and i'm like all right well i can see where this yeah it's it's the both armies are cool don't worry everyone yeah exactly Uh, though with that being with that being said like at the end result though was very clearly lumineth cooler than bone reapers um Oh yeah, Nagash. Nagash went down like a nerd in the end. Yeah, right. Um, so if if you were a Nagash fan, I can imagine you'd be a little miffed um, seeing where this went. Uh, but I won't hold it against it. And I think the big picture, big like arc picture stuff, like maybe the details weren't my favorite, but the bigger flow or like the direction that the book went, I think it, it won me over. And as with most things, I can't wait to see where we go from here. Like what what happens? Oh man! Now? Right. What's what is the what is Broken Gnome's Bellicor going to be like? Yeah, well, exactly. So, so the way they always leave. They're going to kill Archeon. They're like, Archeon's dead now. Yeah, yeah. keep escalating. Sigmar isn't yeah. long for this world at this rate. Like, uh, Sigmar, Sigmar, yeah, Sigmar, they get sent back in time, and he's now teen Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about like a comic book like storyline. That's what that would be. Um, but all in I mean, I definitely liked it. No doubt about that. So, um, yeah. Go read it. Y'all get a chance. Um, so those are our final thoughts. A couple more things for me. First, I'll say I want to thank uh, Games Workshop for sending us this book. I'm going to start doing this now, guys. Get ready. Um, we, we, we appreciate it. We got a chance to read it a little bit ahead of time, and so that's greatly appreciated. It's both kind and generous of you folks. Um, and then I'm going to do so – I used to do final questions. I'm going to do one more uh, final question. You don't answer. You just laugh at it because it's funny. Uh, from Thundercake again. Uh he says, the door is open for Cetra. How fast does he go through it? And also, do they make doors big enough for his chariot? <laughs> it's time for our reforging, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do, we'll spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. And Paul, where can they find you on the internet? At PJ Shard. Uh, and... Paven, I always like your answer to this. Paven, where can they find you on the internet? 
Uh, I'm not on the social media, but uh, you can. I sometimes I hang out in the Mortal Realms Discord. Oh man, we didn't do it this time, but it's www.themortalrealms.com/discord. And I'm Aaron, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Dosesos. Uh, and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Guys, we did it. Da, 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 da.